Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Sadly, the Roger Moore era had to end, but it ends in style, in from a view, to a kill. This man has a secret ambition. I propose to end the domination of Silicon Valley. Project Main Strike. A secret plan. For which each of you will pay me $100 million. A secret weapon. Uh, we're not sure about her. Name's Mayday. Someone will take care of you. Oh, you'll uh, see to that personally, will you? There's only one man who can stop them. The name is Bond. James Bond. And I'm Dick Tracy, and you're still under arrest. In the world of high adventure, the highest number is still 007. With Tanya Roberts, Grace Jones, and Christopher Walken. (laughs) Has James Bond finally met his match? Find out this summer in A View to a Kill. 
title song performed by Duran Duran. Chris Eels, also known as Big Red Trousers, and Double O Bookshelf as well, of course. He wanted to give us his thoughts on Octopussy, but just about missed the deadline. Hello, Bond Podcats. This is Chris, a.k.a. Big Red Trousers, a.k.a. 007 Bookshelf, a.k.a. Self-Confessed Octopussy Champion. I will admit from the start that, despite all my planning, a bout of Covid has kept me from the cinema and delayed my recording. Many contributing Bond fans have dissected the film and given their positives and negatives, and have executed this analysis better than I, and I hope you will forgive any repetition on my part. But I'm still sending in these thoughts, hopeful the really 007 boys will forgive my illness and delay and allow my inclusion. Once people find out you're a Bond fan, the inevitable question of what's the best Bond film is easily, in these days, possibly tediously answered with On a Manchester Secret Service. However, reframing the parameters ever so slightly to what is your favourite Bond film, and suddenly a whole different selection of movies comes into view. And top of the list for me is Octopussy. Having seen it dozens of times, the act of watching it becomes as much about how it makes me feel as how entertaining it is. And god damn, is it entertaining. When we are tired or stressed, a comfort film can help tune those concerns out, and it is easier to relax watching a familiar film you know will not disappoint. The safe, calming feeling of re-watching familiar movies with repetitive core elements gives an overactive brain an escape and an emotional reset. I believe this is especially true for Bond fans. Because we know how a Bond film works and ends already, we know how it's going to make us feel. As a side note, this may possibly explain my physically sickening reaction to No Time to Die. But let us leave that aberration for another time. But what is it about a nearly 40-year-old film that, from the middle of a franchise in its 60th year that commands so much of my love and adoration? Firing on all cylinders, Roger's sixth outing is a film of duality. Duality in structure, theme and character. Decades before Skyfall served as two films in one, Octopussy was there first. In this case, both fun and serious. A travelogue romp in India, and a tense Cold War race against a ticking clock mixed into one exotic, intoxicating adventure. There is duality in what is real and what is fake. The dual Fabergé eggs that kick off the story, the mini-sub pretending to be an alligator, and the fake money plates Khan packs as he makes his escape from his palace. There is duality in Roger's impersonation of Colonel Toro in the pre-title sequence, as one of the knife-wielding twins Mishka and Grishka making red blouses sexy for men, and of the clown costume wore earlier by 009, almost bookending the film. Roger's early 80s Bond is a Cold War warrior, and Octopussy continues narrative elements started in For Your Eyes Only. The plot has 007 in conflict with Russian forces and her allies, and we are invested more in the relationship between Bond and the heroine than Bond and the baddies. The film plays with military and political events of the time, as previous Bonds have done, but Octopussy is unusual in that it tackles the then-controversial subject of nuclear disarmament. It was not Burkhoff overacting, but a simple fact that at the time Russia indeed had overwhelmingly superior forces, and NATO could never have held them back if Orlov had had his way. Despite Orlov clearly shown as a renegade, the Soviets are still subtly projected as a threat to the West, with the Brezhnev lookalike declaring that world socialism will be achieved by peaceful means. And while Russia may be flexing its muscles, 
MI6 is shown to have limited resources, with Q declaring he has no proper facilities in his Indian workshop, and Bond, once clambered aboard a tourist boat, declares, No man, I'm with the economy tour. This was a Britain still clambering out of the recessions and strikes of the early Thatcher government, and not yet enjoying the strong economy of the later 80s. Roger Moore has often been quoted as being frustrated with the limitations of playing Bond, with the part making few demands on him as an actor. His Bond is more of a lover than a fighter, and his films have evolved over time, leaning towards Roger's skill to deliver a comic quip or knowing look. But while he may be frustrated, being this charming, cool and comedic on the big screen is an oft-overlooked skill in itself. This script, however, does make many demands of Roger's abilities. The freight train confrontation with Orloff acts as both an explanation of the mystery and a starting gun for the chase that takes up the next 45 minutes of film. He faces up to the powerhouse performer Stephen Burkhoff, and he proves he is equal to the task. His performance is then pushed further when he must convince the base commander and Octopussy of the imminent danger in full clown face. On a side note, the cloud costume is often derided, but I think it makes sense in the situation, and the duality of the silly and the deadly serious only heightens the drama. A lot is said of Roger's age in his later films. He was 55 at the time of filming Octopussy, but despite looking older, he still looks good. In a dinner jacket, or in a safari suit, or in bed with Magda. But age is relative, and in this case doesn't seem to project as strongly. I'd put this down to the cast acting against each other, all being age-appropriate. Something that certainly can't be said for Melina Havelock or Stacey Sutton. Another side note. To put things in modern perspective, Tom Cruise is 60 this year, and about to embark on yet another impossible mission. And while we're on our casting, everyone is spot on and playing their roles perfectly. The thoughts of duality within the film continue with the characters, this time being opposites. We have for the baddies the calm, cool, level-headed Kamal Khan, opposite the bombastic, practically panto-villain General Orloff. Khan's henchman is the buttoned-up, prim-and-proper Gabinda, while Bond's sidekick is the charming, easy-going Vijay. From the art depository in the Kremlin, we have the highly strung, man permanently on the edge of a nervous breakdown, Lenkin, while his opposite number in MI6 is the charming, almost insouant, antiques expert Jim Fanning. Another side note, the sequence in Sotheby's is a delight, not just in connecting us back to Fleming's source material and pushing the mystery forward, but for the emotional and performative rollercoaster Jim Fanning goes on. It surely speaks to both the quality of the filmmaking and the talented performance when even one of the smallest parts in the film becomes a revered character, with David from Licence to Queer creating Jim Fanning Friday. The biggest duality character is, of course, Bond and Octopussy, they're being both similar and opposite. Octopussy is a strong, independent woman of action. Khan is respectful of her power, and even the local assassins hired to kill 007 are fearful as they don't want trouble with the woman. Just as some fans imagine Dalton settling down with Pam Bouvier, you can believe that Octopussy is Roger's forever Bond girl, as she breaks out of Bond's usual objectification and conquest of women in the films remembering that she leaves him to go on a business trip, and when Bond is restrained and all it seems is lost, it is her action in the circus tent that finally reveals the Bond. And, in the final attack on the Monsoon Palace, Octopussy leads the charge, being lifted up into Khan's study while Bond floats overhead in Q's balloon. 
Their first meeting harks back to the man with the golden gun and Scaramanga declaring, We are the best. As the slightly lacklustre theme song tells us, and is confirmed by Roger post-snog, hmm, we are two of a kind. But like Scaramanga, they are separated by their ideas of duty, principle and patriotism. The big difference being Bond's ethics are here being challenged by the heroine, not by the villain. And it is a shame that this is not developed further. Instead, Bond's charms melt the powerful octopusy into a simpering kitten with one forceful kiss, falling together into the octopus waterbed. Well, I suppose it is Roger Moore after all. It would be remiss not to mention the artwork for the film. We're still in the golden age of drawn movie posters and the art by Daniel Guzzi is a masterpiece. I don't know if it was Maurice Binder who came up with the image of Roger being wrapped up by eight of Maud Adams' arms, but the final poster image, with each arm suggesting an element of the film, the egg, a dagger, a martini, a button being undone, is striking and one of the best of the franchise. Just don't look or question too closely the length of their legs. There is so much to comment on for this film, but I know time is limited, and I haven't even gotten to the greatest cinematic MacGuffin that is the Fabergé egg. If you know which egg is where and does what, you've got a better grasp of things than I. Nor have I touched on the pre-title sequence that can make a serious bid for being one of the best, and the terrific stump work that deserves to be ranked up there with the best in the series. Final side note. Much brouhaha was made of Tom Cruise recently strapping himself to the side of an aeroplane as it takes off. But in the grand finale of the film, we have the amazing Jake Lombard and BJ Worth simply holding on to the side of Khan's plane. To conclude this rambling, I will submit to both notions that repetition breeds affection, and that the more you watch something, the lower your critical facility is towards it. I guess I'm therefore doomed to watch Octopussy again and again and love it more and more each time. I've become a functioning addict, and this is a prison of my own making. But, like Bond on an island populated exclusively by women, I've no great urge to escape. Really 007 is part of the Pod Dojo Network. Special shout out to an amazing fan of the podcast and of You to a Kill. It's Jim Jams Bond. Now, he and his wife tied the knot at San Francisco City Hall. How good is that? We love you. Thanks for your interactions. And just enjoy James Bond and A View to a Kill. Hi, Steve Clamp here. I am off to see A View to a Kill tonight at the View in Worcester. Really excited. The only other classic Bond I've seen on this run is The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, it just had too much on, uh, and the films are only getting like the one, one a night showing around here. So uh, it's a real shame because there's so many others I would love to have seen. But I am mega excited for this tonight. A bit of Roger Moore action. I know a lot of people have little criticisms of this film. His age, the stuntman being more obvious or whatever. But you know what? I love the score of this film. Love some of the stunts. I think the acting is brilliant. The characters are brilliant. I am so excited. Anyway, I'll let you know how it goes uh, after I've been. But uh, yeah, let's bring on A View to a Kill. Evening, everybody. We are sat in the, well, the Mardi Gras beautiful restaurants in the traffic sensors yeah yeah it's uh, it's a weatherspoons so yeah uh, but we're here for certainly one of our favorite bond films must be one of the ones which we were looking forward to seeing at the cinema most certainly me when this run was announced a view to a kill and we've we've got well there's four of us there's going to be five hopefully when sam gets here but we've got math we've got john we've got rob so 
all of us are absolutely brimming with excitement. Um, I'll, I'll start with Rob because it was the last one you went to Honor Majesty's. No, it was. Uh, oh, Live and Let Die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. With so the you've whole seen. Family, yeah. So you've seen the beginning and end of Roger's life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this has been obviously with having young children. It's been one of the hardest things missing so many of this but knowing that the fandom have been going and enjoying it I've enjoyed that vicariously hugely um, but today I'm, I'm so so excited because I flipping adore this film yeah. and I just can't wait I can't wait to, I can't wait to see Roger in his swan song pomp you know I can't wait to see those wrinkles in you know 4k or, you know, I can't wait to see like, every frond of that lovely bushy oh. parker that he's got on I'm so excited about every bit of it hearing me it is it's one of your favourites isn't it Rob I, it I'm definitely is yeah I mean it's, it's a Glen, so it, yeah. it will always yeah. be but it's it's the, it's the marriage of excitement really interesting um, plot line that is, is so original isn't it in so many ways you know like it's a standalone adventure with Roger Moore being yeah he's an ageing James Bond but I don't think that alters my enjoyment one bit in this in fact I think he's great in it I think it, I think he's great in everything my worry is that I was saying to you guys before like my worry is that if I watch this today and I get emotional which I'm pretty sure I will do he's going to end up my favourite James Bond by tonight you know so I'm, nothing I'm, to worry about Robert yeah. nothing to worry about that yeah Jeez. And uh, John, have you took kill? Where did you, where did you have in your list? Was it mid table? It's it's mid table. I absolutely adore it. I really do. That's the hard thing with these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I still yeah. love it. It's a it's a weird film in, in so many ways. <laughs> like it's incredible. It, I'll, I'll start with the, the absolutely undisputed amazing thing. It's got the second best soundtrack of the whole series for me. Yeah. I absolutely adore this. On Majesty's first and this second. And I think there are similarities actually. I do yeah. think the snow snow job stuff has definitely has kind of influenced. I think you've ever seen that now. Oh, oh shit. You right, Rob? You're okay. <laughs> I'm not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Zorin, Zorin's absolutely one of the best yeah. villains. Mayday's one of the best allies. Oh, uh, yeah. You yeah. know. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the best story arcs. Yeah, it is, it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, no San Francisco is one of the best locations. Yeah. Everything that happens in the San Francisco City Hall is oh. grade A bombed. Absolute grade A bomb. Going down that ladder. That ladder with that oh, music fantastic. is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> Never mind, Roger oh. is... Roger performs out of his skin that's never that's never in doubt Roger is always amazing there are times when he's with women less than half his age that does, that does come across a bit a bit icky and watching it unfolding and hearing what he says in the shower at the end oh, oh his final his final line his final oh throws my word I mean that's, that's we're not sure about that but we'll go with it anyway and what does he say well, you'll hear it in a bit. And there it what is hilarious in this film is the absolute amount of stunt doubles that they're shameless. Yeah, yeah. They're just shameless yeah. at like showing them. Yeah. And and one of the I always think that's absolutely pointless is when is it's not even a Roger one, it's when uh, Polar Ivanova is coming out of the uh, spa right, into the car, right? And it's Gogol in the car. But the first shot 
that you see is of a completely different man in the driveway. <laughs> right, you need to look for this. Can't and, wait then, to see all this. and then she goes in and it's Gogol all of a sudden. And I, I've always Brilliant. been obsessed with that. Gone on the big screen. Yeah. Things you notice. Um, but this makes these these kind of idiosyncrasies make Bond what it is because this film's a bit shameless with it. It doesn't care about doing these kind of things. It, it adds to the uh, to the glory of this film. And I just can't wait for it. Math is definitely one of your favourites, isn't it? I know that. It always has been. Yeah, it always has been one of the ones we watched most. You know, this Knott's Pussy really are, you know, right up there in terms of how much we've watched them. And, you know, a lot of that is because we absolutely love them and we, we really enjoy them. So, yeah, it's quite emotional that we've got to the end of Roger. You know, we keep yeah. hitting these milestones. Yeah. Um, and now we're, you know, we're going to be halfway through the John Glenn run. But this, this one for me, I mean, I just adore it. You know, the things that, that, that John's mentioned. I love all the, all the stuff in France as well. Mm. You know, the Eiffel Tower scene. Oh. The, um, My car! Yeah, the car chase after that. It's just so like, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping for, the, for a decent audience who are going to be really involved with it. And really, I mean, there'll certainly be five <laughs> yeah. parts of the guffawing away. Um, Wait! <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah, I, I, oh, it's just so exciting to watch this. I, 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 to be honest, I think I've watched this about five times in the last year online. <laughs> Something like that. But that's not going to stop my enjoyment of yeah. it, my word. Is that the one you watched the most, or has Licence yeah. to Kill been? <laughs> that and Licence to Kill, probably, in recent... Yeah, yeah. In the last, like, three years or something. Oh, there was, yeah, um, do you remember before lockdown, before we started this oh, podcast? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, me, you and Harry went to Rob's and um, yes. you yes. suggested we all put in a pre-titled sequence yes. uh, into a hat and then you pull out a random one and we'd watch it on your projector yeah, and yeah. this was the one that came out. <laughs> You're right, yeah. But was so, so. it a bit like Living Like Die? The cards were obviously loaded. I'm sure we all chose yeah, the, the well, <laughs> I think there were two. There yeah. were two of this. I certainly nominated this. Yeah, because to get us ready for a pub crawl, we watched an opening sequence, didn't we? Yeah. 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 It's sort of like the, the night the podcast was really... It was, like, it was. And then uh, at the end of chatting about Bond and other things for like 10 hours, we got in, didn't we, at like yeah. mid midnight, like, we need to watch a Bond film. Yeah. yeah. So we watched Licence to Kill. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we'd already seen the, the yeah. start of And then halfway through, we had cups of tea. It was so we did, civilised, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Harry did a tea run, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Gosh, that's a lot's happened since then, I know. Yeah. If it was possible, I'm even more excited having listened to this conversation. Oh. It is. It, just imagine growing up. This I think I did see Living Daylights in the cinema. I was very young, so I can't remember much about it. So technically, this is the mm. first one I haven't. But obviously, I didn't see Licence to Kill in the cinema. But I, I do. I can't think of one that I like more than A View to a Kill. Mm. It's these four. For, I keep saying. Octopussy to License to Kill. They're all very different. Yeah, but then but I love them all. Oh, the no, I know. And then Moonraker. Golden Eye. Yeah. The, the scale of this is cinematic, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, not just the music, but Golden Gate Bridge stuff. That can only be watched on the cinema. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fully appreciated. Oh, <laughs> it stunts then. There's I photos know. of John Glenn at the top of... <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he's doing now. unbelievable. What about you, though, Tom? Yeah. In terms of my wants and hopes. No. no. How do you feel about seeing it on the big screen? Uh, like I said, I think I said before, it's. I think it's. Poss- I, I can never decide. I, in my rankings, I think I put it second, behind like behind License to Kill. But those four for me, and seeing Octopussy last week, mm. there's, yeah. it can't it can't get any better. Oh. For me. And but the thing I love about these ones now, starting with uh, Fury's Only, is. 
I love the jokes, but there's so many serious bits in there. Yes. And this one, people just treat, oh, it's a very 80s silly bomb. No, there's, there's loads more to it than that. Think mm. about the Zorin killing his, you know, the miners yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Grim it, yeah, Tibbet's death, how yeah. well shot that is that's in the car wash yeah. um, and all that. Clockoff dying in that spinning that spinning. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Horrible. yeah that's and I didn't know his name. I never knew his name, yeah. John. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> Walking in is just absolutely yeah. magnificent. I can't wait to feel his his idiosyncrasies on I still think the best villains are him, Sanchez and Scaramanga probably for me. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't argue. No, you can't no. Argue that as a three, really. He's just, he is very welcome, but he's, I've never known him to be this psychopathic. Psychopathic in any yeah. other film that he's been in. No. He's genuinely terrifying. He's yeah. unhinged, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, him and I love him and Grace Jones. You know what? Yeah. What's their relationship? It's fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely. My, my thing with Walken is, is, is that this is what I grew up on for Walken. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. Like, where everybody goes, oh wow, they got Christopher Walken to do it. Yeah. To me, Christopher Walken has always been Max Zorin. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Max Shrek as well. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then course, Max yeah. Shrek. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, like, yeah. you know, you go back and you watch The Deer Hunter yeah, and you yeah. see stuff like Pulp Fiction and you see how amazing True Romance and how yeah, amazing yeah. an actor yeah. he yeah. is. But but he has always been Max Zorin for me. That's yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's sort of a lovable. Later, he's just a lovable rogue, isn't he? Like in Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. He's, oh, yeah. I know he's still Christopher Walken, but he's nothing like no, Zorin, yeah. is he? Wedding crashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. And the stunts, yeah. uh, you know, the, these John Glenn films are the best stunts, as far as I'm concerned. We saw an octopusy that. I mean, that f plain finale for me doesn't get talked about anywhere near enough. No, it's just it ridiculous, isn't it? And here, we, we start with the stuff in the snow. That had never been done, had it before, that kind of stuff. The, the guy who snowboarded. Yeah. I, know, I know I wouldn't change the California girls. I wouldn't know. No, I've, I've leaned into all of this stuff now. Like the slide whistle. Yeah, all that. yeah. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I know we're biased because of childhood, obviously. Yeah, of course. We're not, we're not subjective. That's why we love it. <laughs> We'll have to go fairly soon. Any any final thoughts before we see it? The song. The song, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, can't wait. And our friend uh, has recently been to see yeah. Duran Duran twice. And Anthony. Vid vid videoed, uh, videoed them performing this song oh, yeah. and sent it to us. So, wow. so that's what, 37 years on, they're still... Yeah. Sadly, they didn't do it for the Queen's Platinum yeah. Jubilee, but still. Again, yeah. apart from we have all the time in the world, it's my next favourite. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then Live My Die. And then then to me, I'm three yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can't argue with that. Yeah. And the theme, uh, Why I'm with Stacey. Oh. And Steve Plant. Oh. Special mention for oh, Steve Plant. His yeah. wedding march. <laughs> you if that didn't get you, really if that didn't get you crying, then I don't know what would. I think it could be tears that, tonight. You know, yeah. Steve is an absolute apex dude. Oh, he is, he <laughs> He's is. He's doing yeah. that. He is. Fair play to him. Gosh, right, well, St oh. Steve has seen it. Oh, He's seen are. it on the big screen, yeah. so you'll have heard his thoughts by now. And we can't wait to share hours after the two hours or so of pure joy from start <laughs> to finish. Right, see you in a bit, guys. Come on, Luke, move your hat. Who's number one? The grey with him? That's Pegasus, Sorin's horse. With the cane. Is that Max Zorin? Yes. Born in Dresden. Fled from East Germany in the 60s. French passport. Speaks at least five languages. No accent. Now, the talk of the city and the boss. Come on, Luke! 
The old Reds to Riches story. They made his first fortune in oil and gas trading. Now a second in electronics and high-tech. Who's that with him under the hat? With a red dress. Girlfriend? Oh. Yeah, we're not sure about her. American. She's never far from him. Name's Mayday. Unbelievable. In all my years as a trainer, I've never seen a horse run such a fast last furlong. Sir Godfrey Tippett, our department. Many congratulations. Thank you. Lucky man's on. Could be more than luck, Admiral. Fixed? Your guess is as good as mine. The French Jockey Club have hired a detective friend of mine, Cobergine, to look into it. Whoa! Easy, Pegasus. <laughs> Calm down, Pegasus. Calm down. Easy, steady, steady. She must take a lot of vitamins. <laughs> Perhaps Pegasus does too. I think I should meet with this detective friend of yours, Sir Godfrey. Yes. Might have some interesting information for us. Set it up, David. Right you are, Admiral. Money, Penny. Be a darling, would you? And collect that for me. And I'll buy you dinner when we get back. Pegasus. So it's Steve and Bo Spring. And Bo has joined me for four out of seven Roger Moore films. Do you want us to say which four it is that you've seen, Bo? Live and Let Die, Moonraker, Octopussy, and A View to a Kill. Cool, fantastic. Did you, a, did you enjoy going to see Roger Moore at the cinema? Yes. Okay, what was your favourite of the four films? Moonraker, because it's got space in it, and I like space. Oh, fantastic. Did you did you think Roger Moore was a bit too old in the last one we saw, A View to a Kill? Did he look a bit old? Yes. But he was good though, wasn't he? Yeah. And is there anything you didn't like in the Roger Moore films? No? No. None of them are too silly? <laughs> no? No. No? And there was plenty of people there, actually. There was quite a few people for the last two that we saw. Yeah, there was about Oh, don't start five. this again. No, there was not five. There was well more than five. About... It is Five. We had this last time. There was more than five. We're two people already. There's two that always sit behind us. That's four guaranteed. No, four, two. Two didn't sit behind us today. They, they were two rows back this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I think you make so much noise when you eat. So is there anything else you'd like to say about the Roger Moore films? Or anything else you'd like to say? So you, you're now going to miss two films, aren't you? You're going to miss the Dalton films and then you're going to come back and join me for the Brosnans, aren't you? Yeah. Are you looking forward to seeing Pierce Brosnan? Yeah. Do you remember who Pierce Brosnan is? You can't remember. You have seen some of his films. Cool. Anything else you'd like to add? No. You can say goodbye to people? Bye-bye. Alright, bye. Hello, this is Noel here from Dublin, Ireland. I saw A View to a Kill over the weekend. I would have to say it's not really one of my favourite Bond movies. It's just a little bit flat. I think the second half of the film has far more life to it, which is a peculiar phenomenon I've noticed with his previous two Bond movies. The movie comes to life with the car chase scene through San Francisco that's a sequence where there's lots of humour in it, there's just more energy to it Roger is kind of in old Roger Moore mode there uh, as opposed to the way he's been playing it in the film up to that point which is quite serious and actually because of that he's not given the opportunity to show that charisma that we know him for 
There's a moment where the fire truck passes between two trams coming the opposite way. And John Glenn kind of does himself no favours with that sequence. It's actually quite an impressive stunt, but it's somewhat thrown away. One of the things I found quite amusing earlier on in the Chateau scene, where Bond is figuring out how Zarn has been winning the races. and Fantastic bit of deduction. And then towards the end of the picture where... Stacy is explaining the plot even with all the graphics on the table I'm still a bit lost a bit all the wells and pumping seawater in and so on and so forth Roger Moore just says so you mean he's trying to create a double earthquake I found myself laughing at it when I heard him say just how he got the notion of a double earthquake out of everything she just said I mean I didn't know there was such a thing as a double earthquake one of the other things I took away from the movie is that Zoran is to the KGB what Silva was to MI6 in Skyfall and I never thought of that comparison before and I, I liked the way that Zoran's people around him he didn't have to tell them to do things they just seemed to know exactly what to do I, I, I liked that everybody was connected somewhat and even him telling them to, to get out just as city hall was being set on fire an unusual sort of moment of care almost for for the people around him one of my favorite moments in it is when grace jones gets blown up and when the two of them are trying to push the bomb out of the mine on the back of the car bond is shouting at her to jump off and even in that moment his humanity comes through there sort of typifies roger moore in his role as bond particularly in the latter half of his run of bond movies and then we come to probably my favourite scene in the whole film and that's the big fight scene on, on the top of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean it's a brilliant idea, great concept, really well cut together. They're a bit limited as to what they can do admittedly but there's that unusual fight choreography going on there. It's not just punches being thrown, it's making use of the lack of balance and the axe and, and the, the cables either side. For me it's, it's the most satisfying kind of an ending to a Bond film and I'm not sure we've seen it done that way so that was the end of roger moore's reign and uh, and i've really enjoyed watching him as an actor and his choice of performances in each each movie which is always just slightly different i particularly have enjoyed moonraker i've saw it again there only last week and i and i'm i'm always moved by the end of moonraker when he turns to holly and uh, he says to her i think it may be time to go home and I always feel in that moment he's talking to us, the audience, and he sums up what the Bond movies are all about, really, and that they are films made for the audience. They are there for its simple pleasure and, and enjoyment. That's always come through with him in, in the role. It's been a real joy watching him. So, thanks, Roger. Thank you. Mr. Sinjin Smythe, allow me to introduce myself. Mr. Zarin, it's a great pleasure. Carl, one of the grooms asked if you go to the stables. Of course. I must congratulate you, Mrs. Zarin. Your stables are magnificent. Built in the 16th century by a duke who believed he'd be reincarnated as a horse. Have you been interested in thoroughbreds long? Oh, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, I had a rather dotty old aunt die and leave me some stables, so I thought it might be rather fun to breed and raise horses. I take it you ride. I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. What about fishing? fly casting. I'm neglecting my other guests. Enjoy yourself, you'll find the young lady stimulating company. I'm sure they Hello, Darren Bithell again. Rising early, happiest back in my saddle, hoping to tickle all of your Tchaikovsky's 
with my take on a view to a kill. This section of the podcast is jointly sponsored by Saga and Help the Aged. Okay, alright, that's enough jibes and quips about Roger's age, but it is without doubt the main point as to why this film is regarded as arguably Roger's weakest entry, in want of a better innuendo. The producers must have known that one more film was pushing it, even with or without the suspected nip and tuck. John Glenn had even been quoted as saying that he thought Roger could have done two more after this film. If I had the talent, the power, the inclination, the influence, the ego, the time, all except one of those things I currently don't possess, to remake a Bond film, it would be this one. The foundations are there in producing an absolute classic, because it really is a carbon copy plot of Goldfinger but updated for the 1980s. The problem with this film is that it's torn between being conscious of what's going on in the present whilst being stuck in the past. Furthermore, it's hard enough to accept that Roger is snow surfing across Siberia or hanging off the mooring rope of an airship in San Francisco or driving half a car in Paris, not just for the very poor stunt doubling, but also for the OTT hysterical reactions of the Parisian taxi driver, the Keystone Cops and the use of a Beach Boys tribute act. It's as if the producers are saying, yeah, we know. So let's up the ante on the comedy around the situation to make it easier to accept. But if only the comedy worked. You may think that this is going to be a rather stinging review, but it isn't. As mentioned before, I hate the term guilty pleasure and I never use it. You don't take an absolute classic and remake it. You take one that had the potential of being a classic, tweak it here and there, and hey presto. Roger plays this overall rather straight compared to Octopussy and Moonraker, and all the better for it. He may not have liked the making of this film, but it is one of his best performances as Bond, more along the lines of Live and Let Die and For Your Eyes Only. Maybe they should have mentioned or suggested in the script the elephant in the room, and it would have got that obvious thought out of the way instead of niggling you throughout. I think this film was modelled in prep for the new Bonds to come, because I can imagine Timothy or Pierce playing Bond in this film, but could each of them deal with a Grace Jones love scene? Speaking of Grace, she has such a magnificent presence that compensates any lack of acting ability. She's a fantastic henchman. The working relationship with Roger is well documented. However, in a Roger Moore tribute copy of MI6 Confidential, she is quoted as saying, I remember Roger making me laugh so much on the set and also during the campaign. He helped me as a struggling actress, very fresh in a big movie, so it was quite intimidating. He made me feel very much at home, very relaxed, we could talk about anything, what such as the right volume to play your music. He was one of the most beautiful people inside and out. I'm sorry I'm going to miss him. If only she attended one of Roger's evening with shows. It's arguably the best villain double act of the series, leading on to Christopher Walken, who for him is rather restrained as Max Zorin, but not since Dr. Kananga have we had the unhinged levels threatened to reach 11. His quirks, his laughter, his tics are just beautifully balanced, and the chemistry with Roger is very potent. What also benefits the character is his background, which could have been used too much in the film, and become in danger of being a supervillain a la Superman or Marvel. He's one of the best Bond villains ever. His gunning down of his employees in the mine is so chilling and so well directed, it strengthens his case even more as a Premier League nasty. Hang on a minute, I've just had a thought. A psychotic called Max. Wasn't that in a previous Bond film? How many times did Eon watch Never Say Never Again? The rest of Zorin's family are unforgettable. Scarpine is so laid back for most of this you'd wonder if Cher's Lange was on his rider. 
There's Dr. Carl Mortner for his Larry the Lamb impersonation, and Jenny Flex for actually being 18 years old at the time of filming, and is always pointed out whilst watching the film that Alison Doody ended up playing Elsa in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, like pointing out the fact that Michael Crawford did his own stunts in Some Mothers Do Have Them. They don't point out Taffin, do they? Finally, there's Bob Conley, who I wonder whether he suspected the Kremlin knew all about this, and Pan Ho for the rather un-PC manner she tried to pronounce St. John Smythe's name. Perhaps the dialogue coach was Benny Hill. The one-foot-in-the-grave-er-past complex this film has is not just with the leading man, but also with Patrick McNee as Tibbet. Despite this, the chemistry and comedy the duo have in this film is scrumptious. There's a Holmes and Watson vibe about them, which of course they both played together in the Forgotten TV movie in 1978, and the fact that they were good friends for many years makes the viewers forgive for the lacklustre fight sequence and fear of one of the most effective ally deaths of the series. The awe factor is emphasised with the Bond family, Lois Maxwell finally given a chance to shine more in her farewell to the series, Desmond Llewellyn seeing the benefits of taking more vitamins, and Geoffrey Keane believing all French industrialists are beyond reproach. Of all the romantic liaisons Bond has in this film, including Mayday, the scene with Paula Ivanova is the most believable and the most fun, and Fiona Fullerton shares the same light comic touch as Roger. I haven't seen this on the big screen since its first release in the summer of 1985, when everything seems simple and chicken really tasted like chicken. Sorry, I've already used that line, haven't I? It's my age. It's not my line, anyway. It's nicked off men behaving badly. I still love that show, even though it has aged. Which is how I feel about A View to a Kill now. Again, the attendance was average for these screenings, with a couple of father and son pairings, one proudly wearing his Zorin Industries t-shirt, laughing and relishing Walken's tour de force. I have to say that despite all its faults, and there's plenty of them, I got more out of this screening of A View to a Kill than expected. The main reason for this was the sound mix, which was the best since Spy. Barry's bombastic score surrounded you, and the surround sound was the most prominent, especially during the pre-titles, which looked much better on the big screen, making the Beach Boys even more grating. The theme song never sounded so good, despite its pretentious nonsensical lyrics, but the titles themselves didn't project well. The action sequences that stand up so well are the City Hall Fire, and the mind flooding because they're played straight. The Paris section is the best of the rest with the excess humour, making me realise it's now two months since I was there last. How time flies. The fight sequences are extremely creaky. It amazes me when Bond fights Harpo Marx and Arthur Mullard at Stacy's house, how they all get younger by about 20 years at certain shots. The fire truck chase and the Golden Gate Bridge battle are hampered by poor front projection. However, I had a blast through this. All the intentional zingers landed, and all the unintentional zingers landed. Through all the screenings I have sat through this current run, this one has been one of the highlights alongside You Only Live Twice, Honor Majesties, Spy, and Moonraker. Again, if you lower your expectations, the more you get out of it. I had waited until I saw this on the big screen to give my opinion of Tanya Roberts, God rest her soul. The character of Stacey Sutton is a strong one, given her motive against Zorin and the fact that she's a state geologist, so there's enough for the feminists to appreciate. Tanya brings across the want for revenge against Zorin very well, but when it comes to the explanation of Zorin's plan, and indeed anything that involved geology, it's like Kelly Brook trying to explain astrophysics. 
There's also the matter of the Penelope pit-stop rasps of Hey up and James that she so frequently uses throughout this film. She is a classic damsel in distress character, and whilst enduring her cries through a sophisticated sound system, I have concluded that I have heard worse things, such as Madonna, Cheryl Crow, Jack White and Alicia Keys trying to do a Bond theme. Speaking of music, the score on this is one of Barry's finest. Using the same bass line as the Honor Majesty's theme, the action sequence theme complete with rocking guitar solo is excellent, and overall the score is grand and dark, but doesn't overstep the mark. Upon release it stood against the competition, but the takings were lower, so with sadness and relief, Roger hung up his PPK. Maybe staying around longer than he should have harmed the franchise in the long run, in making it more difficult for the new man to put his stamp on things. But in stepped a figure from the valleys, whose presence has been around before the days of gorgeous George, to please the Fleming Easters and possibly alienate the casual audience. All the best, guys. Well, are you uh, buying or selling? Selling? Horses. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not interested in horses. Oh, you came to the wrong place, didn't you? Mayday. Get her away from him. I'm sure I've seen him somewhere before. Have security keep a good eye on him. Mm. Oh, by the way, you didn't say what part of the state you come from, Miss... Uh... No, I didn't. I suppose you uh, travel a lot. Your helicopter leaves in 20 minutes. Oh, does that mean you're not staying the night? I was hoping we'd spend the evening together. Now I shall be all alone. Hmm. I doubt that. Oh. Well, let me walk you to the chopper. That won't be necessary. Someone will take care of you. Oh, you'll uh, see to that personally, will you? Robert Redfern gave us his thoughts on A View to a Kill on the big screen. Hey, how you doing? Like a lot of people, I saw A View to a Kill last night. Uh, personally, I watched this in Manchester at the Great Northern Cinema, uh, which is a nice little place that I've been going for a lot of years. And uh, just wait to add my thoughts as well to this fantastic podcast. I'm part of the Bond Twitter lot. My name on Twitter is The Northerner Who Love Me. And uh, yeah, I love being part of the community. And uh, yeah, I thought it'd be a nice to, opportunity to add some stuff. So uh, yeah, so this film, I think personally the PTS is is a good one. They, they go a long way to make 007 look cool. Add loads of cool stunts to make the guys chasing him not look good. Yeah, it's good fun. I always find it exciting. I mean, personally, I'm in my mid-40s and I watched this film when I was, I think, nine years old. I guess it was the summer of 1985 that this film was out so it's the first one i saw in the cinema with mum so it's always got a nice bit of nostalgia there i do think it's a decent bond film i know it uh, comes in for a bit of stick it's kind of quite a funny and in many ways bizarre film i do quite like the uh, the bits in paris that are good when he kind of starts to chase i feel that the film kind of moves on well you know the, 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 the there's a goal at the end of the film that it builds to and i think it works well miss your eggplant i do like that he meets at the uh, the eiffel tower i believe the actor actually is french amazingly enough it sounds like he's putting that in that accent but i think he just uh, takes it up to 11. i do like stacy sutton as the main bond girl i think she's great and i don't understand the stick that she gets i think she does what's on the page and kind of puts her own mark on it as well in a good way i think she's beautiful to look at She's obviously a bit young for 007 at this stage and there's more of a fatherly kind of vibe going on. Yeah, I think she's lovely and I, I don't understand the stick that she gets. And even the uh, the kind of screaming and shouting that she does in the film, I, I don't find that hard work. You know, slightly amusing, I must admit, in the, in the cinema when I was watching it on the big screen. 
I'm not a big fan of Mayday. Grace Jones is Mayday. I, I just, I've never just gelled with that character at all. I know she's kind of campy and fun, but just doesn't do it for me at all. I do quite like the inclusion of the Carl Mortner guy, which I think is a guy called Willie B. Gray that was in Howard's Way, if you're old enough to know that camp um, 80s BBC drama that's quite funny. Always a good laugh to watch if you're not checked that out. And uh, what can you say about Chris Walker as Max Orion? I just think he's fantastic. Just such a quirky actor, and I just love his delivery of his lines. He's so offbeat and, you know, kind of quite amusing as well. But he just adds to the actual character as though, and he just adds a lot of kind of quite sinister undertones to it, and the kind of World War II babies thing is, is an interesting plot point as well. And uh, I love the um, the score to this film as well. I think the uh, the main theme for the film is fantastic. It's definitely one of the better 80s ones, uh, for sure. I do love that band as well. So all in all, it's just a, a fun film, you know, and it was good to see it on the big screen. It did feel like a bit of an event last night watching that in the cinema. It's a shame that we've got to the end of Mr. Moore's films here. Yeah, they've all been fantastic fun. Yeah, if you watched it yourself, I'm glad. I hope you enjoyed. I'm sure you did. And uh, on to The Living Daylights, which I think I'm going to watch at the Trafford Centre on uh, this Sunday, I think. So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening. See ya. Hi, Chris Garfield and Nelson Pendle, Lancashire. This weekend has been an absolute roster. The government put out guidelines saying to stay in the shade, don't go out in the sun. So what did I do? Instead of sitting out in a beer garden, I went to the View Cinema at Preston and watched A View to a Kill. Now, having missed the last two weeks, sadly, because of Covid, this was the tonic that I needed. Yes, this is a bit of a maligned film. Um, there are elements where it feels like a certain last of the summer wine kind of quality, and there are moments where it almost feels like it's a bit of a Peter Sellers Pink Panther film, but those are outweighed by Roger's performance as Bond, even though it's looking like he's starting to show a bit of time. It's still only about 57, I think, when he made this film, uh, which is not that far from Daniel Craig is, except he does look a little bit better than uh, poor Rog. Action sequences are pretty good. The car chase around Paris is always worth a laugh, and that guy shouting, Maca! Maca! Love it. The end sequence with the mine, where they're just shooting everybody, and then the, the little bit with the Zeppelin on the Golden Gate Bridge. Fantastic. I think Christopher Walken is absolutely superb. Is just a delight. Considering he's only on the screen a short time, I just think he's brilliant. As I said, it's got its faults, and it's, you know... One of them kind of films where a young lady who sat next to me in the cinema said, you go to watch James Bond to have a good time and come away having had a good time and wanting cheering up. Well, this is exactly what this film does. It's not a serious film. It's a bit of a laugh. You take it for what it is. I did. I had a great time. Looking forward to the next trip to the pictures. The big one for me. Living Daylights. We're now out of the Roger Moore era, sadly, but we're into the Dalton too. Can't wait for these next two films. Daylights was the first Bond film I saw at the cinema, and License to Kill is my favourite. So, let's crack on, roll on next week. Bye-bye. This is Trevor Baxendale, just out of A View to a Kill. Heatwave? What heatwave? I've just been listening to a Beach Boys cover while James Bond snowboards the hell out of Soviet troops in Siberia. Roger Moore's 007 testimonial is everything you'd want. Funny... Thrilling and naughty with a good dash of genuine tension. I don't think he's too old for the role in this. Tom Cruise is making Mission Impossible films, age 60. And in A View to a Kill, Moore has honed his bond to an incisively cool point. Mature but still twinkling, witty but still capable of being serious. His icy response to Tibbet's death 
and the breathtaking determination to stop millionaire psychopath Max Zorin shows he's still got it where it counts. The escape from the burning city hall, carrying Stacy in a fireman's lift while climbing down a ladder to the soaring accompaniment of one of John Barry's most impressive scores, is pure Bonder's hero, and quite possibly Roger Moore's finest moment as 007. No gadgets, no gun, no jokes, no problem. The fire engine chase that follows is 80s Bond mayhem at its best, and the Golden Gate finale is a big screen tour de force, as spectacularly vertiginous as you could hope for. This is Moore's brilliant final hour. Whoever follows him has got big shoes to fill. Follow the parachute. Hello, this is Andy Curran, and I'm here with my wife, Yvonne. At the weekend, we took a a city break up to Glasgow. We managed to find time to fit in a screening of Roger Moore's last outing as James Bond in the fantastic 1985 film A View to a Kill. It's a movie that holds a special place in in both our hearts for, for different reasons, really. For me, it was the first Bond film that I saw on the cinema, Saw it at the ABC in St Helens when I was 13, I think, with my school friend Simon Thompson. And I think it made a lasting impression on me because I've been to see every single Bond film at the cinema since then. And for you... I'm a few years younger than you, so I'd have seen it on TV late 80s. And it's the first film I remember watching all the way through. I was at that lovely age where you don't notice the kind of sexism, the kind of political kind of incorrectness, and you don't realise how old Roger Moore is in that film. And the age difference between him and... Oh, it's a huge age difference. It's uncomfortable now as an adult watching it, you're like, she could be his daughter. But Roger Moore's wonderful, and yeah, you're forgiven for that. Yeah, there's, there's the, the warmth and charm is still there from, from Roger Moore, and you can't really sort of dislike what he does with the... No, he, he, he carries the film, he's great. It starts off, of course, with the, 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 the wonderful Duran Duran song, A View to a Kill, which then gets repeated through the movie. And the, the, it's great, the, I love the soundtrack. You you got you very kindly got me the CD um, a few years ago, and I play it a lot. It goes, it repeats the View to a Kill music, where it goes from the big crescendo heroic music to kind of a soft romantic theme. And it's just, just lovely. It, it can be used for heroically carrying somebody down a ladder or for baking somebody a, a romantic quiche. Oh, yes. Yeah, can't be Bond where he will, will, will bake his, his, his lady a quiche, do some DIY and tuck him in bed. Oh, Fixes the phone box, basically. After <laughs> having next a full bottle of red wine, I noticed. Ah. But yeah, going back to the, to the to the start of the movie and sort of other soundtrack issues, I'd always thought that the inclusion of the Beach Boys music in that opening scene was maybe a little little too much. But I've got to admit that watching it at the cinema on Saturday, I was just sat there with a big cheesy grin it on my face yeah. when that kicked in. It, it, <laughs> it's a fun bit. Yeah. It doesn't overstay its welcome, but it's on for about 30 seconds yeah. and it's back to the... Shooty yeah. shooty bang bang stuff, <laughs> which is all all good fun. You know, the, the great Titans Lincoln's with, with all the neon. You were saying it's probably the most eighties Bond film. I'd argue it might be. Yeah, you've, you've got John Duran at the height of their powers. You've got eighties icon 
Grace Jones in there as well, which we'll, we'll, we'll come up to in a minute. You've got Uzi's getting fired off everywhere by Christopher Walken. You know that, that 1980s action films always seemed that the you know the weapon of choice was a, was an Uzi. <laughs> Christopher Walken, weapon of choice. See yeah. what I did there. Um, <laughs> and also you've, you've got. Roger Moore and Patrick McNeil, mm. more or less running around in shell suits. Maybe, maybe before shell suits were made popular. I don't know. Maybe they started yeah. the the eighteen. It's a good, good double act. Good double act. So that's Steed and Bond together. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to see those two sort yeah. of sixties sixties icons together. Yeah. Um, and you've got eighties icon Grace Jones, who is stunning. And yeah, she's not in it a lot, but she has presence, and she saves the day at the end. She has has a hero's redemption. She, she does. Yeah, I think she's great in the movie. I. I would have liked to have seen her as the main, the main villain yeah. in the movie because I, I almost think Christopher Walken, brilliant actor as he is, is almost a little, a little mm. wasted in this. The ending scene where he, where he, he sort of more or less falls off the bridge mm. and he, he almost sort of dies by accident. It's and, a bit and, abrupt and it's like, oh, oh, bad guy's gone. Yeah, yeah. and there's two other henchmen that, yeah. that still have to be killed off after him. So, yeah, I'd have liked to have seen sort of a little bit modern with the... The, the ending, so one of the best things about seeing it at the cinema is you hear the sound better. You and I caught the dialogue in the shower scene, which we'd not noticed before. No. And when I repeated what I heard to you, you kind of chuckled. Yeah. And when we got home from the holiday, you put the Blu-ray on and we looked at the subtitles. The subtitles. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very carry-on. And Roger Moore's last utterance as, uh, as Bond is almost a Kenneth Williams-style <laughs> in the shower. It so makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, we would would highly recommend put the Blu-ray on and watch the the last shower scene with the t- subtitles on. And yeah, mind the soap. <laughs> Goodbye. Action! This is John Glenn. You're listening to Really Double O Seven Podcast. <laughs> That guy, Sai, a November man here. Tell me, is it a crime to like a view to a kill? Some might say, but not me. I say crime as I won't be seeing this at the cinema, which is a crime. Why? My nearest Odeon is using the screen for a court case. As ridiculous as it sounds, I happened to be called to jury duty at that same cinema a few months ago. Had I not been, I say it sounds like an half point not to show it. It's a shame, as they are showing them all... All the Bond films, the official ones it is, part of this one. So if you are seeing this at the cinema, I'm envious. Staggering that this is the seventh Bond film released in 12 years from the same actor Roger Moore. Pardon me, Sir Roger, of course. And it's sad as it is to be his grand finale. I always say, for your eyes only, it's my favourite Roger outing, but boy, this is a close second. The pre-title sequence, I'm saying it, is my favourite from Roger. It's daft, to be honest, but the action is so shot so well and what elevates the film so much is the Barry score. Incredible, it truly is. The DNA of Un Her Majesty's Secret Service lies within, but has this mature, modern action feel to it. Really is a brilliant soundtrack. Probably my favourite Barry score. Speaking again of the music, as it plays throughout the film, to me, it almost has a superhero quality. It's difficult to describe. An example, the scene where Roger saves Stacey from City Hall carries her down that ladder as a standard for me. Such a tense scene, the use of the music and the public cheering and clapping when Roger lands on the ground. Great stuff. The main theme song itself is brilliant from Duran Duran. I don't mind a ballad that they've been coasting by for the last year. In regards to the rest of the film, there's criticisms, but the good outweighs the bad. 
Roger by this point was nearing 60 and does look his age at points, but still has the goods to pull off one last time. Things I dislike, the fight scene in the microchip factory and Stacey's house is not Bond, signed as ever. The taxi chase has its moments, but the fire trip fire truck chase I'm really not a fan of. Condensy slapstick scenes and the film plays to be a very strong action thriller. Always rate the finale of this song. Things take a rather dark turn. Mayday and Bond taking sides in the mine. Mayday sacrificing herself. Some bold new ideas. Then to top it off, the Golden Gate Bridge finale is one of the best. <laughs> wow, it's such a unique location. So famous. Yet, in some way it feels quite claustrophobic. There's so much at stake. The public below. I also can't think of another Bond film that uses a landmark in this way. It's so memorable even now. The film, I feel, should have actually ended up there with Stacey and Bond. And let's not forget the villain, Max Zorin, Christopher Walken. One of the best and most demented from the series. I love his backstory. Eventually unhinges as the film progresses all the, all the way through to his demise. Some great dialogue from him. Intuitive improvisation. I'm sure we're going to get some walking impersonators, myself included. <laughs> Looking back on Roger's tenure, I'd say over the seven films, he had, for the most part, some of the best villains of the franchise. What's left to say? Was Octopussy? Pussy, sorry. <laughs> A more fitting end for Roger? Probably yes, but I just love this film. I'll say it's probably my favourite last film from an actor with a lengthy tenure. Roger doing what he does best. Charming and eyebrow-raising to the end. Even if he does drop the soap. Or was it Stacey? My next stop, next week, Tim Dalton, The Living Daylights. See you then. Hi, it's Patch again. Though I've not been able to see A View to a Kill at the cinema these past few days, sadly, I'll still give my usual thoughts. So, whilst Octopussy would have been an excellent film for Roger Moore to go out with, we instead have this 007th adventure with him. It's another one of those which has certainly divided opinion, and gone through a lot of varied assessments over the years. Most of the criticism, understandably, goes towards Roger Moore's advancing age here. Now, I'm not going to argue with the idea that Roger being nearly 60 here, it's perhaps somewhat uncomfortable to see women sleeping with him when they're old enough to be his daughter. The film perhaps could have been tailored more towards this, as well as doing a better job of hiding his stunt double's faces. In general, maybe Richard Maybaum and Michael Wilson should have deliberately written this as a last hurrah for Moore's Bond, rather than just continuing on as usual. I don't mean in the big final chapter route that uh, No Time to Die took, but more so acknowledging it in a subtle way that this is the last mission as an audience that we will see his bond go on. Naturally, an idea I like that has already come to the mind of some fans is that instead of Fiona Fullerton's Polar Ivanova, we could have instead had Barbara Buck reprise her role as Anya Massava. I don't know if she would have agreed to such a cameo, however, and the whole KGB involvement in the plot does raise some questions as to whether more should have been done with it or whether it should have been kept out of the story entirely. Still, purely from a fan's point of view, I would have enjoyed it. It might have been more fitting for Bond to have a romantic relationship with a secondary Bond girl in this manner, one that's closer to Moore's age. Meanwhile, Stacey Sutton as the main Bond girl could have had just a paternal relationship with Bond, similar to what was done with Melina in most of Fear Eyes Only. Despite these issues that I've just discussed, I do want to stress that the film has significantly improved for me over time. No longer am I indifferent to the overall experience, as with my appreciation of John Glenn's fine direction and multiple fun characters, 
I can never accuse of you to a kill of not containing some enjoyment. Indeed, I thoroughly enjoyed a good deal of what the film has to offer. All of the action in France, from the Paris car chase to Bond escaping from the Rolls-Royce underwater, is a lot of fun. And I would honestly say that James Sinjin Smythe is probably the best cover that Bond's had in the series since Peter Franks and Diamonds Are Forever. Fancy that. Both are in an actor's last film of their tenure. In fact, same with Dalton in Licence to Kill, one might argue, if Bond pretending to be on Sanchez's side counts. Anyway, I love all the banter between Bond and Tibbet, and like with VJ and Octopussy, his death is definitely one of the most distressing of any ally in the series. I felt maybe the pace does tend to slow a tad when the film reaches San Francisco, but it's good to see Bond doing a bit of detective work nonetheless. Him infiltrating Zorin's pumping station and nearly getting sliced by the propeller is another great example of how the John Glenn films usually don't rely on gadgets to help Bond get out of hazardous situations. As for Tanya Roberts' Stacey Sutton, my most recent rewatches have improved her standing for me somewhat. Most of the time she's generally not too bad, the occasional annoying scream aside. While she doesn't compare to Maud Adams' octopus in terms of chemistry with Roger or as a strong character, I wouldn't say she's totally useless or uninteresting. We should remember that she's a civilian and not used to a lifestyle like Bond's where danger is creeping around the corner. The fact that she manages to drive a fire truck through the streets of San Francisco while being chased by police cars and trying to ensure Bond doesn't get killed when he's hanging onto the loose ladder, I think that's rather impressive. Heck, she's even responsible for stopping Bond getting killed when the blimp has reached the Golden Gate Bridge and they're trying to knock him off. Also, I like the moment in the chase when she playfully turns on the sirens like I'm sure many people driving a fire truck would want to do. As John Glenn suggested, it's like a childhood dream, isn't it? Speaking of the fire truck chase, I actually don't mind it. Yes, the police are played for laughs, but I find that the crazy stunts of Bond hanging onto a swinging ladder or the truck driving off a raising bridge are both excellent, and surely we can all agree that there is some genuine jeopardy there. Anyway, the climax, I would say, is where the film really peaks from beginning to end. The brilliantly weird but engaging villains of Zorin and Mayday get to show their true craziness and depth, and the tension before the bomb explodes almost gives Octopussy a run for its money. Almost. Mayday turning good is a welcome expectation subversion, and I can't get enough of the superb Golden Gate Bridge fight, which does at least somewhat acknowledge Moore's age in comparison to Christopher Walken as a younger villain, who can maybe be a bit faster. This might not be Roger's finest film, or even the ideal one for him to finish his tenure on, but what you know, it's a lot of fun. I'll close off with a tribute to Roger's Bond. He's simply the most heroic of the lot, isn't he? He can appeal to children and adults alike, and though like all the Bonds he can be a flawed character, you could probably still look up to him in some ways. As with Connery, we truly saw him grow into the role and make it his own. He started in the shadow of his predecessor by retaining a few aspects of Connery's coldness, Mostly in The Man with the Golden Gun, that is. Though, maybe he did have some in Live and Let Die. But with his own natural charm included too. Starting from The Spy Who Loved Me, however, I think that's where he got absolutely the best of both worlds. He was more comfortable, and he softened a little. As an older and more mature version of his Bond in the 1980s, one should recognise that he does care a lot about those around him. Maybe more so than previous Bonds. He looks out for his allies, the women he meets, 
and even ordinary civilians who could fall victim to a mad plan like that of General Orlov or Max Zorin. It's for this very reason that he is my favourite Bond. Well, maybe his humour has something to do with it too. Either way, farewell Sir Roger, you were amazing as Bond. Now, bring on Timothy Dalton. Good morning, Comrade Zorin. General Goggle, this meeting is ill-advised. A calculated risk. But necessary, since you refuse to answer your control. Come to the point, General. You disregard procedure. You did not request approval before eliminating 007. Reprisals might jeopardize ongoing operations. You jeopardize mine! Letting the British penetrate the Siberian Research Center. That was regrettable. Your racing activities attract unnecessary attention, but more disturbing are your unauthorized commercial ventures, and we cannot tolerate that. The issue is irrelevant. I've made new associations. I no longer consider myself a KGB agent. We trained you, financed you. <laughs> what would you be without us? A biological experiment? <laughs> a physiological freak? Enough of this! Control yourselves! You will come back to us, comrade. No one ever leaves the KGB. Hello, this is Gary Kay. I was really looking forward to seeing A View to a Kill on the big screen yesterday evening, but unfortunately the showing got cancelled by the cinema at the 11th hour due to the air conditioning system failing in the cinema during that very hot weather that we've had. I had actually seen the film on its original release back in 1985, so 37 years ago. Ended up seeing it a few times at the cinema. It was the very first Eon James Bond film that I ever saw at the cinema, so it was a real event going to see it on the big screen. My strongest memories that I have of seeing it for the very first time at the cinema were hearing that amazing John Barry score through the Cinema Sang system, one of his very best scores for the James Bond series of films. Morris Binder's very striking fluorescent title sequence for A View to a Kill. That really stands out in my mind. Always loved the Duran Duran title song. Still one of my absolute favourites today from the entire James Bond song canon. Anyway, I ended up watching the film last night on Blu-ray and the first thing that struck me is how much I enjoyed the film but seeing it on the big screen is significantly better with these James Bond films than watching them at home. I even had some high-definition noise-cancelling headphones on to get that real immersive sound experience that you get in the cinema and it wasn't bad as a second option but but hearing that magnificent score through a cinema sound system is the way to go as i've mentioned before roger moore is my favorite james bond really closely followed by sean connery have to be honest though in the film roger did look a little too old for the part and with tanya roberts as his leading lady the age gap was clearly apparent and also I thought that in a few scenes Roger looked a little uncomfortable. 
It's a shame that they didn't pair him up with an older actress in the film because I think it would have looked that much better. As I said, Roger's performance was excellent throughout. He's still got that twinkle in the eye in the film and his delivery of the witty quips is second to none. I particularly enjoyed Roger Moore's rapport with Patrick McNeese Tibbet in the film. There was some lovely banter between the two characters. Other character moments I enjoyed in the film were the moments between Christopher Walken's Mag Zorin and Grace Jones Mayday. I just think those two, that pairing of those two villains works so well in the film. Grace Jones looked absolutely stunning in the different outfits that they gave her, the very striking look that she has and the costumes to match. And such a strong performance as well from Grace Jones, as well as um, one of my favourite actors, Christopher Walken. So um, as Bond fans, we were very lucky to get an actor of Christopher Walken's quality. I remember enjoying the pre-title sequence at the cinema. I enjoyed watching it at home again last night. I remember that the sequence in which Bond takes the skidoo ski and uses it to surf effectively which is now snowboarding and certainly wasn't a, a known sport for most people back in the mid 80s i remember that in the mid 80s that um, sequence with the um, cover version of the beach boys california girls song got a massive laugh back in the 80s in the cinema so be quite interested to know how audiences today reacted to that sequence, whether they still find it funny, because you sometimes read comments on Twitter with people deriding that sequence. Anyway, really enjoyed my rewatch of A View to a Kill last night. It may not be my favourite of Roger's Bond films, and um, Octopussy would have been the ideal film for him to exit the series on but it's still nice like diamonds are forever with sean connery to have just that one additional james bond film for roger moore and um, very much looking forward to hopefully returning to the cinema next week to see the living daylights and a brand new bond anyway hope that most of you got to see a view to a kill on the big screen this week and uh, speak to you soon all the best tom donnelly returned to give us his thoughts on a view to a kill so in the, uh, in the cinema on Saturday night, it's one of the Roger films that I've seen most often, only beaten by, I think, Live and Let Die and The Spy Who Loved Me over the years. It's one of my favourites. I know it doesn't score highly on other people's lists, but it's just such an, an entertaining film. Two hours of pure entertainment, or roger This is Roger's last turn as... James Bond 007. Seven really good films. Uh, you can see why he stayed in the role so long, even though he was too old by this point and probably should have been replaced. But would you have got the same film? Same with, with Octopussy. Two really enjoyable films with great casts and great great plots. It's been said that A View to a Kill is an 80s update of Goldfinger and there are a lot of similarities between those films, you know, they're, 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 they're both lower scale model for sure. And I think it's a it's a film that, you know, I instantly warm to and always have it. You know, the Roger films take me back to, to childhood and take me back to... Because these, these were the films that, 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 that I saw on TV and had on VHS tape and, and, you know, that got me into Bond along with Connery, of course. But it was the Roger films that really, really sold me on, on Bond and I think that's the same for, for a number of, of, of the 
the listeners and contributors to the pod. Yes, there are holes in the film. I think the the pre-title sequence is, is good, but it's marred by the fact that you know, the use of the, the the Beach Boys. But then you know you go into the the titles and you have one of the best, I think, one of the best Bond themes of, of, of the of the franchise by Duran Duran. Really enjoy that song. It's definitely in in the top ten, if not the the, the top five for me as, as the theme songs. The film itself probably doesn't make my top ten, though it's probably higher on on my list than 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 others, uh, which I totally get. But I, I just love the film, and I think a big part of that is is Christopher Walken. I mean, he he's just absolutely immense as as Max Zorin. You can't imagine anybody else playing that role, and I think I can't think of a film. That Christopher Walken's been in that I don't like, so you know, all the more reason why I like this one. I'd never seen it on the on the big screen, so it was really great to to see that. I'm a little sad now that the the the, the Moore era is, is finished. As I say, I, I really you know I grew up with with, with Roger as, as Bond as many of us did. Uh, I was fortunate enough to to actually meet him. Did that series of theatre tours doing the, the audience with I managed to actually meet him at the Grand Theatre in, in Blackpool and I think that was well, barely 12 months before he, he ultimately passed away probably that which also might colour my judgement a little bit but it's just such an enjoyable film and it's one of those that whatever mood I am in you know it's such an accessible film I can just put it on and it's two hours of, of, of pure entertainment for me as I say it, you know it, it's not it's not my favourite Bond by any stretch, but it's just such a, an engaging film for me, and you you, know, you really get into it, and, and there's so many great great points that it hits. Grace Jones, I think, is 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 brilliant in it. It can be said, you know, Stacey Sutton, Tanya Roberts playing that role. She's certainly not one of the the, the the best Bond girls, but you know, serves a purpose. I really enjoyed, actually when I was on my honeymoon back in 2018, we started off in, in San Francisco and, and actually went to a few of the, the locations of, of View to a Kill, obviously Golden Gate Bridge being the obvious one, uh, but also City Hall and the, the Fisherman's Wharf, probably why this film appeals to me. It just does, and it, it, as I say, it, it really takes me back to childhood watching the, the, the Roger Moore films, and it's been great. In this run, seen all but one of them, and all but two of them. Sorry, in the in the cinema. Uh, unfortunately, I missed Golden Gun and For Your Eyes Only in this run. But farewell, Roger. Hello, Tim. Really looking forward to the Living Daylights, as that is one of my favourite Bond films. It has everything in it for me. I'm, I'm so looking forward to to seeing it on the big screen again. Thanks for ruining the pod, guys. And uh, yeah, speak again soon. I propose that. End. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. 
the domination of Silicon Valley and leave us in control of that market. What is it you propose? Project Main Strike, for which each of you will pay me $100 million. $100 million? Plus half our net income under an exclusive marketing agreement with me. These are outrageous terms. Well, perhaps a, a, a demonstration would convince you. I want no part of it, thank you. As you wish. Hmm. The rest of our discussion must, of course, be confidential. Would you wait outside? If you'd like me to, yes. Excuse me. Thank you. Mayday. I'll provide you with a drink. This way. So, we have just watched A View to a Kill, the final Roger. Dear um, Roger. The final Dear <laughs> Roger. And we are a full squad once again. The four musketeers have returned. Uh, Bobbo is here with Chris and with Kieran Rashad. Funny thing, really, that was uh, I thought there was a number of people in there that probably th- you'd go, Why are you seeing a Bond movie? Uh, you know, it is 40 plus degrees outside and it's an air conditioned <laughs> cinema, so there's a possibility they've just come in for a bit of a chill. But then again, we, we are starting to see the same ones. Yeah, that's uh, right. Each, each week in, week <laughs> out. The same yes. characters. Yes, the same people eating the same food. Well, if you'll forgive uh, me, this week we certainly had a license to chill. We did, so quite right. We did. I thought that was excellent. I really it enjoyed was, that. Yes, I really enjoyed it. I, I must say, when I've ever watched it on DVD, Blu-ray, TV, I've always been able to tell that Roger Moore looked a hell of a lot older, but I must admit, on this showing, he didn't. I, I always thought that his eyes were really starey, particularly at the at the party outside the Zorin's party. But it wasn't so noticeable. He wasn't quite as looking elderly as what I thought he did. I do like the word starey. Yes. Uh, and I'd like to use that in everyday conversation. You, you may, you may. Starry and starry-eyed. Um, it's like I said to you, Bob, before, because when he's at Ascot and he's got the top hat on, he actually looks quite youthful in the face. Mm, yeah. And yeah. I think his hairstyle has a lot to do with that as well. It's like I said to these guys, it's very, very minute in detail. He's gone full Templar. But if he's yeah. got... If he's, if he's trimmed at the back and not as bouffantish... Are you concerned about his DA <laughs> at the back? Is that what it is? It's, um, I just think the shorter it is, the more youthful looking it seems to make. Okay. His style. Did you notice how thin his hair looked and balding in parts when they were doing the underwater bits? With Did the... you? <laughs> I, I know you spotted some of it when that cat disappeared oh. on the staircase and what? scared you off to death. <laughs> when the popcorn went flying. There was a popcorn moment. He'd completely you know. forgotten about the cat being startled on the staircase. <laughs> yes. And uh, some some members of the audience were injured. But uh, <laughs> apart from that. But no cats were harmed in the main No cats were harmed. How does no the. Pussy. How does that. Um, a contraption of cues get up the stairs. Is it yes. the sort of it's same like a, Dalek it's principle? Like a Dalek. <laughs> <laughs> Just run away from and, it. We'll never find it. Saying why and why? How is he singled out that house to go to? Why? Why would he yes. be crawling round with it? 
Meh. Again, anyway, these, the of the movie. these are yeah. the questions that we only ask ourselves afterwards when obviously during the production meetings and uh, script meetings they don't ask these questions. But, um, well, what I, have we seen that's new tonight, chaps? I know, I know one thing that still annoys me about the film is that police... Officer, he's <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it says about oh, Dick Tracy. You're not keen on him. No, are you? I'm not. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and yeah, his exactly. peculiar grasp of the language. Steering wheel I as mean, well. There was no, there was no need to bring him back towards the end. I don't no, think. no, he'd, no, he'd, no. He'd no, been no, in no. it enough. Yeah. It's, it's Sheriff Pepper Part Two. Yeah. yeah, that's true. St- Stace is a pretty adequate Bond girl until mm. she gets to the screaming stage. Yes. How the hell can an airship creep upon you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Behind you, he says. And you uh, expect her to go, oh, and then walk ten feet in the opposite direction. Uh, yeah. But no, 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 she gets grabbed from behind by a bloke leaning out of an airship. It is a bit, uh, a bit much in that respect, but... Huge fun. I mean, I must yeah, admit, it's, it's, yeah, it was, it's, it's always been one of my favourites, yeah. uh, Rogers, and it's still great fun now. Yeah, good, bo- good it. John Barry. Tr- Barry it's a great well. score, really. Golden Gate fight. I think yeah. it's one of ba- well, I think it's one of John Barry's best scores. Absolutely. I no, really no, no, do no, no, love it. No, 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 no I think it's spectacular. No, it's not one of his best. By oh, anyway. it is. It's not one of his best. By any state of imagination. On the scale of what? On a scale that it's not his best. No, no, no. Well, go, <laughs> compare it to compare it to the Living Daylights for a start. Well, the only reason he had the Living Daylights was because he's done this. No, I'm not saying why he got the Living Daylights. <laughs> no, 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 I'm no, just no, saying it's, I'm just it's saying. not as good as the Living Daylights. Right. Okay. It's I a superb think soundtrack. The um, Living Daylights is excellent, but I think the use of the synthesizers in it has aged it a bit. View to kill, a lot more classical, a lot more timeless. Well, I think that's an interesting point because we were talking about this the other week. Uh, me and Kieran, and the, I think the basis of, of the whole thing on the strength of this march, this great march oh. that, that John Barry's got on a Majesty's and Living Daylights, I find very similar in the respective use of that mm. particular synthesizer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's an interesting point that maybe it does date it a bit because you can think, ah, the synth, that's a particular period. But um, Golden Gate fight spectacular. Yeah, that, that whole thing is wonderful. And the airship thing. stuff and the. Uh, the mind sequence as well. It's, mm. The sets are marvellous. Mm. I mean, they really it are. Is a very, the mind set is fantastic. It's a very, very well for done sequence. how long sequence. it stays on screen. And yeah. for seeing how little time they had after the fire at the 007 stage to rebuild the exactly, yeah. And yeah. Get the set set up. It's very true. I mean, if they can do that in that short space of time, it makes you wonder what it would have been like if they'd have had that longer time in production to actually mm, kind so of put it together. Exactly, yeah. But whatever yeah. your thoughts on the soundtrack, I think we can all agree that Golden Gate Fight absolutely. Oh, rules. magnificent! Yeah, I think it's a it super was. soundtrack, personally. Magnificent. But the th- talking of the soundtrack and the sounds, I noticed quite a few, well, three at least, a good handful lines and musical cues that I didn't notice from the DVD. You didn't notice from the DVD. Yes. Uh, well, I did notice, but didn't notice previously. Well, the one that stands out for me at this present moment is at the end when he's hanging from the mooring rope and uh, he's going to hit the aerial and some bypasser, we never see him say it, but we just hear it, he says, oh, must be the weatherman or something. Oh, really? Lines. And, <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it's um, one I've never picked up before. Yeah. So there's a few more cues. The beauty of cinema. Yeah. I still like it when uh, it says to Stacey in the fire engine, put your hand on this. No, 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 the wheel, the wheel. <laughs> it's a lovely moment that... that uh <laughs> Very, it's a it's a it's a John Cleese esque yes. moment. Mm. Um, and when and when she's in the lift shaft and on the bridge, stay there. Don't go away. Stay yeah. Stay there. <laughs> and it's don't go away. Also, 
just going back to what you said about the sets and things that we haven't noticed the detail is again amazing yeah yeah, yeah absolutely little things I noticed like the the badge that they had at Ascot yes, like same, the Ascot same. and like the day of the week right. kind yeah. of it said Thursday like on it yep yeah. so, and that's another thing I didn't pick up from the DVD release but you can see on the big screen it's because yeah. it's magnified and it's in beautiful widescreen and yeah, yeah. I no- noticed it a while ago but I don't know whether everyone else has noticed when you see Zorin in the crowd and they're looking at him in the binoculars you see him actually like holding the cane and as if he's pressing the button right which Ooh. then later yeah. Yeah. you think oh was he triggered was that him triggering the Chip with the steroids for the win, yeah, yeah exactly. Because he does say it fits into a jockey spin, yeah, yes. So, I have to say, do you know what? This is, I know we say this about a lot of Rogers' installments, it's a damn good romp, and I love this film for all the negativity it attracts. I think, despite his age, yes, he's getting on a bit. I think he has a charm about him, yeah, yeah, all the double yes, he is. No, it's, it's um, I love it, it's a great film. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change the films it. definitely went in a different direction. The the next two definitely went in a different direction. Yeah. And they only really came back to a sort of Roger-esque thing when Pierce took over, oh, really. I still think they missed out on uh, a, bond, a proper Bond girl in Fiona Fullerton. She would have made a fabulous yeah, yeah. Bond mm-hmm. girl rather than just that couple of scenes. I believe she sat in with a couple of... Didn't she do some auditions for Screen tests. People? Screen tests, mm. yeah. Wasn't she in there, was it? The Sam Neill's Sam Neill. Test, yeah. Sa- oh, Sam Neill, she was, that's probably true. If you yeah. watch that, she's Tatiana Romanoff. Yeah. Um, but, instead, uh, the bubbles tickled her Tchaikovsky. They did. They did. Yeah. So, but no, I enjoyed this film. I think it's a great film. I've always loved it. And despite all the negativity, let the haters hate and the lovers love. Quite right, yeah. too. Uh, so, uh, sadly, that's the end of the Roger uh, uh, era. Which is said at the end, James Bond he will return. will return. But they didn't know what he was going to return with gonna, it at the time. Or, or what as or what in. But uh, yeah. So, you uh, lot will be back for Daylights. Yes. I can't do Daylights. And it's probably going to... I think I'm going to be... Might be tomorrow never dies by the time we see each other next. All right, well, until next time, we'll bid you a fond adieu. Goodbye. It's time to flood the fog. But Mayday and my men. Yeah, a convenient coincidence. Mr. Zorn, those men are loyal to you. I seem to have made it something of a habit to only ever send my thoughts into this podcast to defend films that nobody else likes. So previously I defended Man with the Golden Gun, then Moonraker, and now I'm defending View to a Kill. My defence for this is probably going to be a bit stronger than those because this is one of my absolute favourites and always has been. View to a Kill is actually one of the Bond films which I have very strong memories of watching as a child. When I would have been around six or seven, my family took me to the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford where they had a uh, James Bond exhibition. Part of the exhibition was this mock-up of the Golden Gate Bridge, just a small section of it, just, just one of the pipes. You could pretend to hang on like Zorin and this screen at the back would superimpose you over a, over a, a street view. Give us some spare clips. And you could pretend to hang on and then fall to your death because what warm-blooded child doesn't want to pretend to be Zorin 
and fall off the Golden Gate Bridge. Then when I was 18, a group of my friends very kindly all chipped in and for my birthday got me the 50th anniversary box set. The first film I chose to watch out of that box set and force my family to sit through was A View to a Kill. But despite having all this fondness for it, my nostalgia is not the only reason I love this film. The reason I love this film is that it is, along with Diamonds Are Forever, the sleazy Bond. This is the sleazy, weird, strange Bond film. And I absolutely love that about it. So why is A View to a Kill so weird? Well, one of the things is tone. It's a particularly mean-spirited and quite nasty film. The level of violence is really quite shocking for a Bond film. Obvious examples of this are, of course, Zorin's Mind Massacre and the death of the Soviet agent when he's thrown into the pipe and minced. But it's not just big moments like that, there's a mean-spiritedness sprinkled throughout the film. When Tibbet dies and Bond finds his, his corpse in the back of the Rolls Royce, Grace Jones throws his chauffeur's hat on his lifeless body and there's just something so sort of nasty about the way that's done and the way the look in her eye when she does, does that sequence. Another example of this is on the Eiffel Tower when... Bond makes the comment about there being a fly in Detective Aubergine's soup just after he's been murdered. Uh, this is an ally. This is this is a friend. This is someone Bond was meeting for information. And it's, it's just such a little cruel joke. It comes off quite nasty. And this is sprinkled throughout the film. The tone, there's something really odd, slightly, slightly nasty. Really rather deliciously so. Why is View to a Kill so strange? Number two. Well, the second point is that Roger Moore really is too long in the tooth to be playing Bond at this point. He's a little bit too old, but that gives the film this this odd sort of subtext. When you have Patrick McNee as his as his ally Tibbet, again also quite quite old at this point, and just the age of all the the MI6 regulars, when you put them against a group of villains who are quite youthful, Christopher Walken, Mayday, and not only youthful, but quite hip quite trendy, very 80s, particularly in the costuming. It gives the film this odd subtext, this strange kind of young versus old undercurrent that, that runs throughout it. Particularly when you think that, you know, you have icons of the 60s, um, The Saint and, and John Steed from The Avengers versus icons of the 80s. It gives the film this, this really weird flavour. I'm not 100% convinced it was intentional but it's intentional or no it's definitely there and it gives it just this really weird strange subtext that I, I i do enjoy i'm not sure if it necessarily works but it's there you can see it and i, I love this idea of uh, an old bond an icon of the 60s who became a bond of the 70s now quite elderly going up against icons of the 80s. I, I, I really enjoy that element. Then there's the casting and the characters. Grace Jones is, of course, amazing. She was never not going to be. But the fact that Grace Jones is in a Bond film is, is bonkers. Made a one of the best villains, particularly when paired alongside Christopher Walken's Zorin, who brings this amazing, quirky energy to it. His character is also fairly, fairly unique for a Bond villain, being a Nazi experiment, which again adds to this whole mean-spirited, very strange sort of quality. There's also something, <laughs> something quite sleazy about that element, um, which adds to this kind of 
odd, slightly sleazy, trashy quality that View to a Kill has. Other characters, of course, Tibbet, played by Patrick McNee. As I said before, John Steed, working with the Saint, they have incredible charisma together, and it's a shame, really, that Tibbet dies so early. If his death came later, perhaps it would have even more impact. But he's a, he's a real joy to behold whilst he's on the screen. Musically, I think this is one of the best Bond films. John Barry's score is one of my favourites of his. The piece Destroy Silicon Valley is just one of my absolute favourite pieces of, of scoring that he did for the entire franchise. I do I do wish that we could get a soundtrack release for some of the cues and, and pieces in the film, particularly the moment exact directly before Zorin begins his the, the massacre in the mine. There's a wonderful cue that lasts about 30 seconds that isn't on any soundtrack release and it would be great for there to be an expanded View to a Kill soundtrack release. Obviously, the title song by Duran Duran, it's my favourite Bond song. It's a real solid, probably the best example in my opinion, of the upbeat rocky Bond song versus the the Shirley Bassey ballad. I really love it. Um, I think the lyrics are great. I think as a song it stands, you know, on its own. But in the film, it's even better and John Barry's kind of slowed down romantic version of the theme is just beautiful it's it's one of the one of the best pieces of of music he ever did and not just for the bond films there's so much more i could praise with you to a kill i do really love this film but one thing i just want to sort of mention that i don't see getting brought up a lot is atmosphere i wasn't that fond of octopussy rewatching it um in the cinema i'd seen it fairly recently and i enjoy it it's kind of the perfect example of the lazy afternoon lazy sunday afternoon bond film if i'm honest the optimum word there is lazy it does a few interesting things but it does feel like a box ticking exercise view to a kill on the other hand yes zorin's plan is basically gold fingers but other than that it feels like there are so many risks there's there's so much weirdness there's so much strangeness so much darkness they really revel in the setting of of san francisco and when the film gets there i feel like it just it reaches top tier the mindsets are incredible and all the sequences in there there's really macabre you know foreboding element christopher walken is is so much nastier and crueler than any bond villain we've had up to this point pretty sure mayday is, is is unlike anything in a bond film up to this point surely but i don't think we'll ever have another mayday she's a one-off and and she's fantastic and she just adds to the strange quality that this film has this real odd atmosphere this quirky offbeat sense i don't think you could replicate it i think some of it's intentional particularly with, with the costuming of a, of a lot of the villains but other things are, are lightning in a bottle it's an odd send-off for roger moore um, admittedly not one of my favourite Bonds, certainly towards the, the bottom of my ranking, but it's actually one of my favourite of his films. Um, probably second favourite could even be, be troubling first. View to Kill isn't going to be for everyone, and I understand that. It's mean-spirited, it's weird, it has odd choices, not always good choices. Perhaps maybe it's a bit too 80s even for its own good, but there's just something about this film that I, I really enjoy, and... I hope, I really hope that everyone who got to see it this week in the cinema, that though some of the naysayers, some of the people who maybe aren't too fond of this film, that they came away understanding why why some of us really love it, why this is, is the perfect midnight movie Bond film. This is the one 
with you know watch it with your friends with some beers have a laugh late at night this this indictment at the peak of sleazy bond and i absolutely love this film for that it's wonderful. Feels even better from where I'm sitting. Mm-hmm. Would you like it harder? James, you haven't changed. Well, you have. You're even lovelier. James, mm-hmm. that night in London when I was with the Bolshoi. Ah, what a performance. In my dressing room later. Did you know I was an agent with orders to seduce you? Why do you think I sent you three dozen red roses? Mm? Mm. Now that was a performance. Quite a coincidence, us running into one another like this. Come on, tell me the truth. Let's what? not talk shop. Let's put on something more inspirational. Why not? Hi, Steve Clamp again here. Well, that was utterly joyous. There was only about 20 of us in the screening, a fair bit less than The Spy Who Loved Me, the last uh, Bond film I got to. But then the weather was very nice, so maybe some people had made the mistake of enjoying the sun and not relishing the wonders of A View to a Kill. Hello? Yes, darling? You know something? Tomorrow I shall buy you six dozen red roses. How lovely, darling. I can't wait. So it's not a perfect film by a long stretch. In places it's just very silly, but it's also very knowing. So whereas the silly bits in, say, Die Another Day, with its pretense at being clever, make me cringe, here it's not trying to be anything other than fun, so I go with it. Let me first get to the elephant in the room, Roger Moore's age. And let me lay my stall out. I don't think he looks too old to be Bond. He looks in great shape, and actually, watching him on the big screen, I realised he's far more involved in the physicality of the film than I remembered. Although there are a couple of, you know, Frank Drebin-style wide shots that cut almost seamlessly to Moore in close-up. Naked gun fans will know what I mean. Going back to Moore's age, well, I say I don't think he looks too old to be Bond, but I do have a couple of connected issues. One, he'd had a bit of a facelift before the film, and it seems to have left his eyes forced wider open. So he seems to look startled throughout, and not just when bubbles have tickled polar Ivanova's Tchaikovsky. And while he looks good for a man in his 50s, having girls in their 20s keep falling for him just looks a bit wrong. I mean, 
I would buy a 20-something falling in love with him over the course of a whole movie. Who wouldn't? It's Roger Moore. But having women so much younger just jump straight into bed with him is demeaning to everyone, and it does make him seem a little bit older. They got it right with Maud Adams in Octopussy, but not so much here. Also, and maybe his facelift plays a part, but I just don't quite buy Roger's performance in this in the way I do in, well, all six of his other Bond films. I know he wasn't all that keen on this movie, and he was, by the time it was made, far more involved with his charity work than being a film star. Maybe he just wasn't quite into it. That said, he shines in the playful scenes with Tibbet, Patrick McNee and more have wonderful chemistry and some great dialogue, and the death of Tibbet is all the more shocking for it. Anyway, I am dragging on. What else is there? Well, let's crack through some big screen highlights. It begins with the pre-titles. On the small screen, I've often thought they're kind of middling to good pre-credits. On the big screen, wow, they really come to life. The stunt where Bond snow surfs along snow and then straight through water is spectacular. And on TV, I'd never really noticed how impressive that is, maybe distracted by the annoying choice of Beach Boys music. But in the cinema, the same music that has so often irritated me just made me grin. It's a great sequence, the remaster looking incredibly bright and crisp, and I like it that the sequence gently ties in with the rest of the film. I must mention Morris Binder's titles that follow. I like the style here, and you know what? My wife, who came with me and really only likes Bond films for the music and title sequences, well, she rates this as one of the best. And hey, Duran Duran and John Barry created a masterpiece of a theme song. And I really love the way Barry incorporates that tune into so many scenes in the film. The orchestrated score of the title song is really well used as romance blooms. And it's called, rather comically, Breakfast with Stacy. I know it well, as my wife walked down the aisle to it. It's good to see the supporting cast in really fine form, with a relatively decent part for the outgoing original Money Penny. She even gets to go to the races. And Max Zorin is a brilliant villain. Christopher Walken perfectly blends evil with charm. And I actually think Grace Jones as Mayday is superb. Although the sexy business with Moore seems a little awkward, I think she'd eat him alive. And I gather they didn't get on too well on set. A small gripe, otherwise I think she's really impressive. I mentioned the snowboarding stunt earlier. It's interesting how much more appreciation I had for all the stunts on the big screen. The chase across Paris in that Renault, superb, especially the jump onto the moving lorry. And later when Bond climbs from his horse into the Rolls Royce in a failed attempt to escape. Wonderful. And of course the stuff on the Golden Gate Bridge. I have no head for heights, so well done to the stuntmen and film crews for that sheer bravery. I've often thought uh, the scene was let down a bit though by the slightly dodgy back projection in the close-ups, but on the big screen it just seemed to fit into the action so much better. Maybe it's the nice new print, maybe it's just the epic size of how I was seeing it. Big shout out to Peter Lamont and his sets. Seen in all their glory on the big screen, they are a feast for the eyes. The restaurant in the Eiffel Tower, love that one, where he we're treated to the first of two wonderful slash terrible stereotypical Frenchmen. It is stunning in there, and it's fast actually, considering how briefly it's used. And then Zorin's massive cave set at the end. The destruction of that with all the water and explosions is as big and as impressive as anything I've seen. It all just looks so much better without the fakery of any CGI getting involved. You can pick holes if you really want to in various things in this movie. I mean, why does Bond break into Stacy's house? Can't he just knock on the door? And then there's Q's pervy little moment with his robot. All a bit disturbing. But if you pick holes, you're kind of missing the point. Apparently, Timothy Dalton was considered for the film. And I have to admit, I think it probably would have been a better movie had he taken him up on that. 
I can really imagine him and his acting chops going toe-to-toe with Walken. But you know what? Even having said that, I wouldn't change things. Because while for some less is more, for me, with all the joy he brings, more is more. P.S. I know that doesn't make sense, but it sounds good. And hey, in places the film didn't make sense. But I loved every minute. That's it. Swing it over to the truck. Easy. Gently. Right, lower it. Take her up. Come on, we've only seconds before this thing blows. And if it does, that powder keg goes with it. Come on! Hi guys, it's Philip from CineCompass and I had a blast seeing A View to a Kill in the cinema. Of course, it was the only film left that I had never seen on the big screen and it did not disappoint. However, it does have some flaws that I have to mention, unfortunately. The biggest one for me is California Girls in the opening scene. That is something that really annoys me every time. I just can't get over it. And it's not even the Beach Boys version, but a cover version by Gidea Park. That doesn't feel like Bond, that feels like Police Academy. The other thing that I find a bit sad really is that it's hard not to see the stuntmen in the action scenes. I feel that the editing is not that great compared to other Bond films at least. When 007 jumps on the elevator on the Eiffel Tower or when he drives along the Seine, you just see that it's not Roger Moore doing it. And I hate to say it because I love Roger so much, but he seemed a tiny bit too old to really make a credible secret agent. And by the way, why did he break into Stacy's house instead of just knocking the door? I don't think any reporter of the London Financial Times would ever do that. Well, I guess we'll never know why he did. That being said, there's a lot to enjoy in A View to a Kill. The locations, the action, John Barry's score, the brilliant title song by Duran Duran. It's a really colorful and really entertaining film. Christopher Walken is a great villain. I actually wish he'd had more screen time in the film. And I think Grace Jones is just fabulous. She's among my favorite henchmen, or henchwomen rather, a very interesting and memorable character. And seeing Patrick McNee as Bond's ally was also quite fun. Fiona Fullerton as Paula Ivanova is stunning. I still have a bit of a crush, I must say. And I like Bond's relationship with her, the whole talk about the detente, that's fun. And Stacy, well, she screams a bit too much for my taste, but other than that, I like her too. And I think she has some nice dialogues with Bond as well, actually. 
Overall, I really did enjoy the dialogues in A View to a Kill. Some of Roger's one-liners are just brilliant. I laughed a lot, especially about the the early riser. I'm an early riser myself. No one can deliver such lines like Roger did. And I think he's also really good in the more serious scenes of the films. There are some. So overall, it is one of the weaker Roger Moore films for me, but that means it's still a fantastic film. And it has one of the best showdowns of all Bond films, if you ask me. I always loved the whole scene with the gold mine and then the blimp and the golden gate bridge i think it's spectacular it's fun to watch and i think it's a great climax for the film so that's it that was my verdict on a view to a kill thanks for having me and now i can't wait for the living daylights james james It. We've done the Roger run, as it were. First of all, I'll speak to Sam because Sam had a few problems getting here. So, Sam. I thought some witty. No, no, like, I've been detained or something. There's something there that I can't think. Yeah, quite yeah. Now. Like, no pithy comeback. <laughs> no chit chat. Yeah. <laughs> but were you looking forward to this one particularly, Sam? Yes, I was. Yes, I was a lot. It's again another one that I remember from being very young. I have a lot of uh, family mem- memories with this one. It's like the only one which I, I kind of do like from when I was really little. It's the only one, like I was dying to come with my sister, but she's just been super busy. So she was unable to come to any of the showings that were in the Manchester area, which was a bit unfortunate because it's the only one that she would have gone to. But, you know, it's the only Bond film that, we, that she will watch. You know, we've watched it together. You know, it's the only one that I really remember watching with my dad and... I have a, you know, I always say, and I think, I feel like I've said it already, but it's this story when, like, you know, Dad said, oh, this is like the last James Bond film. I remember watching them on the bridge, and he's like, oh, this is the, this is the last Roger film, and then in my mind, I was like, oh, it's the last Bond film, because he's so old. This'll hurt him more than me. <laughs> Even though I knew in my mind, oh, Pierce Brosnan is... Bond right now like I knew that but in my mind I was like but he, it must be the last Bond film in the continuity like yeah, even then they're like seven years old for oh that's it premonition um, of things to come though exactly maybe 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 <laughs> but, um, but no no so I do I do look forward to watching this one every time I see it it's just class you know <laughs> and I think I, I actually think that the, the cinema screen does it more justice than it or not I think it has the potential to look a tad cheap at times but I think on now I didn't really notice that as much uh, which was great more more power yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot with this that I could I could go on about this film for a long time. I think it could potentially be more weirder than Dams Are Forever. Well, in hey, many, that's in many ways. what an accolade. But, yeah. <laughs> well, that is, isn't it? It is. No, it? no, 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 no. The Grace Jones is obviously so interesting and unusual. Oh my God. I, you, don't you think you just see her on screen? You're just like, oh my God, you're you're. Yeah, she's you're so like mesmerising. Amazing. Yeah. Like I yeah. just, you know, I think, yeah, she's a bit. I feel like she's kind of like odd job 2.0. Oh, in the sense that, oh, yeah, that yeah. she's not, she's it's not, so I feel I don't think she's supposed to talk much. I mean, she actually does in this. Um, a lot of, uh, no, aha, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> ah, ah. No, yeah. no, no. But I think she still, I think her, her and 
Christopher Walken is still a shot. I mean, that's one of the main reasons why my sister loves this film is because of those two. And I think many, many Bond fans agree that, you know, the best parts of this film are those two being in it. I think it could be way more boring without them. Um, I actually, I did feel like a little bit, you know, during it because when I saw Tanya Roberts and I was just like, yeah, oh, you're like, yeah. the only, you're like the only Roger Moore, you know, leading lady to not be with us anymore. And, yeah. you know, I've, you know, seen some of her, her Charlie's Angels episodes and I've seen her in that 70s show. So, you know, more than some of the other, you know, you know, women in these films, I've actually seen her in other things. And I do think she does, you know, she does really good stuff. And I think she, she at least does things in this one. I don't think you can say she's pointless or anything. You know, she has, yeah. she has a background. She, you know, every time she's in a fight with Bond, she actually tries to hold someone so he can get something in or something, and that happens every single time. So I was really looking out for that this time because I was, I really wanted to just get that and yeah. be like, okay, people, maybe shouldn't be too harsh. I think the screaming can be a bit too much, but if I was her, I'd probably do the exact same yeah, of course, thing. So because yeah. I'm not yeah. professionally trained or anything like that, yeah. so. Uh, She's hanging on to the Golden Gate Bridge at the end, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. In a and fire. She, and she causes the, the airship to crash. Yeah, yeah she does. By, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. grabbing Scarpin. Yeah. And stuff. And she's not, she's only in that brief scene, isn't she, a bit, when Bond meets her in France and then she's not in it for quite a while. Mm. I love that, yeah. though, and then she, yeah. Yeah. she's in yeah. it pretty much until the end with Bond. She's a civilian. Yeah, we've said it before. Yeah, it's yeah, true, yeah. though, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. She's not an octopus. She's not a, she's not a Hollywood head or Anya or anything like that, you know. No, she does a great job of what she does. Rob, it's better, better than I expected. I mean, how is that possible? I don't it, it, is, it was massive. It was <laughs> so interesting, so exciting, so fresh, so innovative. I just had an absolute whale of a time, but like, totally a whale of a time with it. I thought the music was astonishing yeah. on the big screen. The vistas were amazing on the big screen. It moves along at such pace, it's ridiculous. The stunts in this movie are absolutely yeah. out of this world. Some stuff that you will never see, that you've never seen before and probably won't again. You know, um, and all of it, so much of the practical stuff. Um, you've got people risking their lives all yeah. over the place <laughs> in this are. film. It's, it's totally, I, did, I was expecting it to shift a little bit because there's, you know, there's obviously quite a bit of comedy in there. But yeah. then you've got the, the absolute psychopath traits of Walken. But I actually think that Glenn and the team balance it perfectly. It actually yeah. didn't jar with me in any way whatsoever. Walken is absolutely astonishing. Jones is brilliant. I think she's come on as one of my favourite allies yeah. so much in recent years. Um, Roberts again absolutely brilliant she's a civilian who exhibits incredible bravery yeah, <laughs> consistently throughout this really really like it the sets are incredible I can't get over some of those mindsets yeah, yeah they nice. really are aren't they um, Indiana Jones S oh, yeah. I, I'm absolutely elated I've had the time of my life oh, <laughs> this is emotional I mean. <laughs> when I listened to the first bit of Alan Church and he, and he mentioned about yeah. going into the mindset for the first time and being absolutely blown Ooh. away and and seeing it on that big screen the vastness of it the scale of it was I don't think like anything I've seen in a Bond film no I don't yeah. for what is it's an, it's an internal set you know and there's been loads of them four not all of them and, but this one felt a grander scale Ooh. than any of them gone before mm. right it's probably the best one post Ken Adam isn't it Yes. So far. Yeah, yeah it probably is. It's, it's interesting because I, I've, I've heard some, I don't like criticism, but, you know, saying that the mine is quite sort of boring. It's not like, well, you know, it's not like, it's not Fort Knox or no, something yeah, like no. that. But, I mean, seeing it on the big screen oh, yeah. there, it just looks so, so massive. And then when Mayday lowers Bond down to get the bomb, oh, yeah. like, 
into this pit of explosives. It was, oh, it was daunting. It was, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was, it was it just was superb. No, 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 agreed. I was going to say that when Snowjob came on. Oh, no, oh right, well, we're going back. We're going to go back to the beginning. No, no, yeah, no yeah. I just had to because that, like, when, I first, when it first came on, it immediately just blew like, the last two scores out of the water for me completely. It just <laughs> from that point, from that first <laughs> note so alone, good. because it just hit me and I was like, well, yeah, and then so you heard so it all. Right. It's oh, just no. yeah. amazing, amazing. Um, and just, I mean, you. I mean, you. I was starting to talk, and, went, and I've got when it when it gets that big orchestral moment at the at the city hall, and you just kind of like go. Oh, yeah. And I know so, I, I've heard people say it's a bit too much. What it is, I'm like, I don't think it's too much at all. Oh, I think yeah. I think it's, it's really great. How he slips and he's oh, saving yeah. a life, climbing out yeah. a burning building. You know, can you get bigger? It's it's Bond being a hero. It's the ultimate hero moment, isn't yeah. it? Mm. All of it was some kind of hero. Never quitting, yeah. relentlessly progressing forward to <laughs> kill an absolute. <laughs> and uh, what a psychopath! I, that, those scenes are the most shocking we've had so far in the oh, mine. Right. Shooting all those people, seeing them drown, electrocuted. <laughs> I know Roger was wasn't a fan of it, but PG. I, I, this is a weird thing to say, but watching it on the big screen, it felt like his movie rather than Roger Moore's movie yeah, for me. Really, it, 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 the links with Goldfinger, of course, as well. Very much so. But if there's one. There's just one shot that sums up that movie. I think possibly my favourite shot in the whole of the Roger Moore era. It's when he <laughs> in the blimp and he just looks at the Golden Gate Ridge and he just has this psychotic smile on him yeah, just before like, he says, yeah. this is going to hurt him more than it hurts yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, like, I know what you mean. He, like, he, he loves it, doesn't he? he? Absolutely. His whole plan's been destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like oblivious. Like, yeah, and he, the others reacting around him. Are yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why are you what is wrong with laughing you? away? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. The, oh. the nuance to yeah. his yeah. performance yeah. is yeah. unbelievable. It really it's is. so much more than a stock battery, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, he, and again, he isn't in it. For, deliberately, I said to Matthew, he doesn't speak. You don't hear him speak for quite a long time until Bond actually physically meets him, yeah. chatting to him, you know. I'm glad to my guests, you know, that. Yes. That's it. That scene for me, like, if that... I mean, that's one of the most amazing parties. It must be. In the oh, whole... Yeah. But I'm obsessed with it. But how beautiful, how amazing <laughs> yeah. the effort yeah. they've gone to do, to do all that. I know, well, it's on location, obviously, isn't it? But that's, that's the kind of Bond party I want to I go to. I know he's got the granny specs, but... <laughs> I love it. Are, you, are they, yeah, are they going up in your estimations, John? Well, as I said to Mark halfway through, regardless of what I think, at the end of the day, they're obviously magnets for twenty-plus-year-old women. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who am I to argue? <laughs> so yeah, Ro- Roger's period has come to an end. Who has anyone seen all of them, or a majority yeah. of them? Have you seen all of them, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Oh my wow, word! Wow, right, wow. well. Yeah. And um, 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 what what film number is this out of all of them? Like, ooh, like know, it's fourteen. I think. Yeah, it's just Diamonds Have Forever. Haven't seen. Seven, oh, okay, right. Seven, six, yeah, fourteen. Yeah, fourteen. Fourteen, so fourteen, fourteen yeah. right now. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, then Sam. So, Sam's keeping it going. Yeah. Man. Um, my word. Trying my best. Trying my best. So, where are you two guys with Roger Moore? Like, which would you say is your favourite? I mean, seen them all. Oh well, now. you know Roger's my favourite. Roger's. I don't. I feel like no one's going to take that. I feel like absolutely no one could. This is it, Rob. I, just, uh, it's, I might be there now. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've so thoroughly enjoyed this run of Rod. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed all of them that I watched, yeah, but yeah. Um, this run of Rogers, I just, it, he's so likable, yeah. and the films are so enjoyable. Uh, it's, uh, 
it's hard to I mean I I probably his his Glen ones are probably my my favourites um, but I mean I absolutely love them all and I, I absolutely just adore watching him there's something so comforting about his presence more yeah. than any of the other actors yeah, um, yeah. It, just the familiarity the the warmth yeah, I don't know he's just, he's just wonderful Rob go on how is he? He is challenging Dalton now, isn't he? But he is. I know we've got two weeks of Dalton. The, but the hardest yeah, thing about yeah, it is yeah. just I love both of them so so much. I mean, Sean. How can you love yeah, yeah, Sean? Yeah. Really, but Sean is my number three. Um, I, I find this so tough. This one, but like, just like Matt said, I know I'm having enjoyment, serious enjoyment, with a man who is so invested in this role yeah. and gives everything every time he's on screen and beyond screen. We, we know he lived, yeah, uh, like. In the vein of, of this franchise, don't we? You know, he lived serving this franchise. Yeah. Um, and just what a man. I just love every minute of him being on screen. When I sit down to watch a James Bond movie, I think it'll be a Roger. Yeah. I do. It's I, the go-to one, it isn't is, it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Just think, though, that's, what is it, 15 years of... Well, no, sorry. Maybe 14 years of filming and being James Bond. Yeah. It's a long time in those days, isn't Ooh, it? Yeah. Think of all that that he's done... Most of the 70s, half the 80s. Yeah. It's a massive, massive part of the Bond mm. history. Yes. And culture, pop culture as well. Oh, yeah. And we, you know, the, the debate is, was he too old? But, again, I, I wouldn't change. <laughs> because the film's so yeah. good, I wouldn't change don't it. don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely don't care. I'm glad he came back for... Yeah. And, of course, because he wanted to have the seventh, maybe, didn't he, to beat Sean. I know, never say never again, I know, you know, we know. It's, it is an official one. Mm. Uh, yes, but yeah, gosh, I, th- I think that last the, the set pieces from the mine to the end are possibly the great amongst the greatest in any film ever. That the, yeah. uh, they are, they really are. Mm. That that's the mine being uh, how Mayday the turnaround is mm. one of the greatest things in any film in the Bond series. It's... Her character redemption. Yeah, mm. it's just like would you. You never think of it. Whenever I think of the film, go into it. You still think of it as a baddie. Oh, and then yeah. hang on, no, no, hang on. Wait, yeah. we've got all that coming. And the way that it's just they accept it when they're almost drowning, her and Bond, they're like, no, come on, that's, we've got to do this. Yeah. yeah. You know, they could have, she could have run off, she could have exactly. swam off, done anything like that, but no. And I think her acting is really good at the end. Both of them yeah. at the end are really committed. Yeah. They yeah. do look desperate. And that's two unbelievable bomb countdowns in a row yeah. you know, after the Octopussy oh, one, yeah. the clown one. Isn't it? It, yeah. I but love it end, so much. They end very differently, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bond diffuses that. But yeah. This, the way, I mean, oh, I mean, all of it, really. Yeah. yeah. But yeah but the, that yeah, shot of a moving yeah, light. Yeah. You know? yeah, but the thing, yeah, Bond wouldn't have been able to do it without her. Like, if no, you, no, yeah, no. Then, it, then it would have, it would have you know, gone to yeah. Yeah, I, I remember as a kid, like, I was so scared of Mayday. Even, even Ooh, when yeah. she turned good, I always thought... You know, her killing Tibbet was. I think I. You know, I remember as a kid crying in the car wash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I kind of. Yeah, like, when you went to like, the car wash. Like a Jurassic Park Lost World binder. I remember having <laughs> yeah, like yeah. crying. That's my like. Like, don't know why, just because of everything that was going on, mm. and maybe thinking yeah. that I was gonna. You know, I don't know. Mm. But, um, Does she as, kill Chuck Lee? I still yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you can't see. You yeah, can, yeah. You can even see like, the, the hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. But no, I think as you get older, like. You know, I probably respect the character much more now, and I, yeah. even though, like, I think I used to be like, "Oh, how can I like her after watching this bit?" Now I'm kind of like, "Well, 
you know what? She's redeemed it. She's saved millions of people. Yeah, it is. It is that. How complicated this character is. It is. Yeah. Never say this is a cardboard cutout character because she was ready to let them all die. Yeah. But is she is she like used and sort of as he psychologically completely ruined her? Possibly. We don't know the backstory. Yeah. More fan fiction. Shit, hers would be absolutely fascinating. We don't know anything about her. Like, does that? Well, don't know much about her. Is she supposed to be the same? Yeah, like some experiments. But yeah. she isn't. Oh, that's no, she, you know, but in terms of being, being psychotic, she obviously <laughs> changes. Yeah, Zorin couldn't yeah. change. Did you notice her accent? Yeah, it's oh, yeah sometimes no, it's English, like, um, sometimes American. Yeah. And then yeah. at one point she went, "Your helicopter is waiting." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was the man at the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, yeah. yeah. English. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, if no like, accent, sorry, no. Yeah. no accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. They are a weird family, aren't they? Like an unusual. They're all just. I, 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 I love really it. Made that they're basically all fine until the very end. Like most of the characters, like survive till the end, apart from Tibet, Aubergine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, mo- most people and chocolate. Most of everyone else is like fine to the end. It's yeah, like, the baddies okay, are all right. Kill off, like four of you right now in the mine. Yeah. yeah. FBI, Jenny. Oh, yeah, oh, Jenny yeah. and Pan Ho. No, I'm safe. I love yeah. the stakes. Yeah. The stakes are massive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's enormous. what you want. You know, I don't want you know a smaller scale thing. I want yeah. the stakes to be yeah. so big. And then you, you've had that one of the greatest endings ever. Again, like Octopussy, the great ending of the bomb, and that the whole reaction from him, like that, is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And then the music sets in, and no, we've got more. We've got one last oh, in the air yeah. set piece. And the bond, his reaction is to jump on a rope to save her no, this again. He doesn't really, he doesn't need to do it, does he? No, but he's a, he's a hero. Can you imagine the discussion that was had around when they were doing a storyboard? Of her, right, we're going to finish this film with a fight <laughs> on the Golden Gate Bridge yeah. with a blimp exploding. Yeah, it's so complicated. <laughs> it's ridiculous. The shots of it, though, you see, it's, you know, even so Stacey. Yeah, like this. Uh, no, go get him. Give me your hand. Come on. Get under the pipe. 
It's got a good Mortnowals in it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mortnowals, but he's yeah. like anguished watching Max go. That, yeah. that reaction, showing his reaction, such yeah. an interesting touch, that like. Yeah, uh, his greatest creation. Yeah. yeah. I love. I do love that fight. Nowadays, it'd be a proper choreographed, overly ridiculous. It's so awkward and slipping on the, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. really like yeah. trying to hang I on. And it was more like, like yeah. I'd say work yeah. in the sense of like not it's not wild work but it's kind of like holding yeah. on to those like rope you know, yeah because it's, it's kind so of like, awkward and actually swinging swinging yeah. and that's yeah. how like he does that and that's what gets sorry loose and yeah Bond doesn't sort of it's, it's not, not anything Bond does is it and he's hanging on like this yeah it, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Bond doesn't kick him off. Well, no, what yeah. Bond what Bond does is he swipes with the axe yeah. and hits the cable. Bond then traps his axe, yeah. kicks his arm oh, right, with okay. the axe, which makes him lose grip. Yeah, the decision it, it's just so there. good because you know Zorin says, you know, go, go get him. Yeah, and you know Scarpin's like a bit like Gabinda you know, yeah, out yeah, there, yeah. Yeah. but but you know, and then he is sort of about to do it, but then. Then when Stacey knocks him out, you know, he yeah. doesn't hesitate to, to go and oh, do it. And it's yeah, because like, Kamal Kell oh, wouldn't Only, only, yeah, Zorin would Kamal, think that Kamal the next thing is... Down down yeah, he's yeah, completely yeah. lost it now, hasn't he? Yeah. And that, when it kicks in, when he, when he goes... Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, uh, just the music. The, the Golden Gate Bridge music. <laughs> That's <laughs> It's so good. The amount of shivers I had from the moment Mayday down yeah, then, it's just relentless, isn't it? I mean, I, I love that, but I, I, I have, I'm going to have to just go back to the no, San good. Francisco City Hall stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I adore it. Yeah. I absolutely it's adore hard, it. It's very sad. It's so dark. It yeah. just the, yeah. the, the murder of Mr. Howe yeah. and how he's like plotting this in his head and, and how he's just so smug of himself and he's lying about what is it, intuitive, whatever he says and yeah. I can't remember what he says. Improvisation. Oh, Improvisation yeah, yeah. is and, and Rogers. Yeah, he absolutely him. hates him, doesn't he? You know, like, like yeah. the, the look of Shia. That starts, though, where, you know, because yeah. he's obviously, when he's pretending to be St. John Smythe, he's fairly charming and mm, amiable. But then, you know, when, when he realises Tibbet's dead in the car, killing Tibbet was a mistake. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. just, he's like, so like, good at those he, things, he's Roger. A yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's a psychopath. Yeah, you know, straight-laced. Yeah, no, he won't joke with them then when he knows he's... Yeah. Oh, God. When he kills, what's his name? Mr. Howe. No, no, no. Oh, well, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, <laughs> for a PG, he did, did. He yeah. just did a the nod down the yeah. pipe. Yeah. And did he hear the noise that. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the other guy in the blimp, like, if you'd like me to, yes, you know, and he, yeah. he, he falls as well. <laughs> yeah. Just so much. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Practical stuff. So, guys, yeah, the, the more ear is over, it's sad. You have a tear for Roger, of course, but mm. <sighs> next week. Timothy Dalton. Pants are bursting. Yeah, yeah. Should call you back. Oh, God. You make that too. Yeah. I think it's that that intro shot of Tim. Yeah. Oh, flipping. Oh, we. And what we we probably agree on maybe is perhaps the best pre-title sequence there is. It's just flipping it. I'm after seeing Paul Weston chat. Yeah, Hold yeah. on, you're dead and all that. Yeah. Oh, most, uh, <laughs> yeah. What other series can have Roger in a view to a kill yeah. one week and then something so different? Yeah. Yeah. And only and two years between them. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. We and need yet, time to reinvent them. And yet both of them are like 
godlike to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it, how does that happen? It's, it's the tried and tested team. Just, yeah. They know what they're doing. Get Tim in, yeah, we'll go for that. John Glenn was up for it, wasn't he? So we go again. <laughs> We're going to need to sit down after that, aren't we? Like, it's too yeah. much. Yeah. But uh, we will see you next week for The Living Daylights. His commander bond here. I'd like to thank him personally. Sadly, he's missing. We are continuing our search, but must presume the worst. the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.